You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. How's everything in the dark kidnapping business? It's getting you, dog. Where were you walking him, Sharice? I always loved Bonnie like he was my own child. One, I do not want that image in my head. Two, could you go get my dog back? Hey, what the hell happened? Some punks jumped us. Who are you? Said they were looking for a little shih tzu. Then some other punk killed those punks. It's their blood. It's his puke. You, you want to go to the bathroom? Clean some of the blood and the puke off you? <sighs> I almost got killed today because you kidnapped the wrong dog. Are you being serious? Wow. All right, we have so much to fucking do today. Let's just get into it. Michael <laughs> Stuhlbarg, Mount Rushmore. Let's go. Sean, you have the first pick. Michael Stuhlbarg? Okay. Stuhlbarg. Um, I'm going to go. I'm starting a bit basic with this one. I honestly thought we were going from lowest to highest build. We but, could do that too. I just went with who shows up first in the movie. Uh, yeah, fuck it. Okay. Uh, serious man, come on, brother. Serious man, easy. Yeah. Speak uh-huh. on it. Very easy. I mean, like the man's face is inseparable from being the serious man. It really is like the perfect, the perfect casting for a Coen Brothers movie. It's very true. Yeah. Um, it's just the he is basically like the Coen leading man. Um, I love how he's able to just live like the worst like last couple days of like his life or whatever and how uh (laughs) i keep thinking about the first time i saw it there's a moment in uh this office where he explains how he's like he's trying to live as positively as he can he's uh one day is going into the other and he just he's trying to keep going as as best as he can and the guy who hears this information is like what he's like yeah i know it doesn't make any sense it's just like that (laughs) the the weight of existence is in michael stuhlbarg's face in that movie and uh yeah no it's very, again the obvious pick but like i, I love that it's movie it the, belongs on the rushmore yeah it's it's the obvious one for a reason i mean mm-hmm. not just that it's his only lead role yeah but that it's his lead role it's his breakthrough role um is it his only real lead yeah i, I guess it is so yeah of, of of the ones i've seen Yes. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it is his, his I, one true. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. Lead. Which is weird that no one's gone back to that well. It is very strange how good he is. In... Why, why doesn't he have like a monk type show? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Stuhlbarg on like a fucking syndicated procedural. You're speaking my language. He should have like six daytime emmys or something it's yeah. pretty remarkable that he he hasn't had the uh the brian cranston run of something like that he hasn't he had that happen always i mean he still yeah. could right like oh definitely how yeah. old is he oh, man. my I guess no would idea. be like early 50s maybe Ex- yeah i would let's yeah. see he's 55 so Mm-hmm. The, the time is now hollywood they love the strikes over they love making they <laughs> 
Hollywood cannot get over making television series about troubled men in their early 60s. Uh, it's never going to stop Can happening. I say this? Um, I, I have discovered just now the second mm-hmm. that this is not my pick because I've never seen it. Um, he was in a 2008 Oppenheimer biopic. Hmm. Uh, Made for television Cam- or like a, uh, a movie? I, like I, a I, it looks like it must have been for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but he played Ed Teller, the oh, oh my god, Benny Safdie <laughs> psychopath. That's very um, strange. That's I, I don't know point. what to think about that. <laughs> I, I was um, reminiscing about uh, October Sky the other day. Why is uh, everyone? You're the third person in the past 24 hours to bring up October Sky to me. Yeah, but everyone who talked to me about it was talking about the one scene I think about in October Sky where Jake Gyllenhaal uh, meets uh, the the Nazi physicist. <laughs> he doesn't realize who it is until it's too late. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So for my pick, can I just again, say? Can I just say to wrap up? Uh, serious man, it's one of those performances that in my head it's like. He in that film is indistinguishable from who I think Stuhlbarg actually is like in real That's life, which I'm sure isn't true, but it's just one of those performances it happens with actors every once in a while where like when I think of their personality, I think of the performance in that film and not his his actual oh, yeah, true personality. So if I could just briefly before I get my second pick, I'm just looking, I just have his letterbox page up right now. Mm hmm. Uh, because that's how I'm good. That's the, the fucking easiest way for me to like scan mm-hmm. a, a filmography because it's the pictures. And that's you know, same. Letterboxd obviously it default sorts by generic film popularity, right? Like yeah. so and the movies are listed I in am the order DB of DB style. Well, no, 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 not IMDB style, because IMDB will like weight things dependent on the performer. Letterbox does no waiting on the performer's page, right? It's just strictly how popular are the movies, period. Oh, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. All of which is to say, a serious man, shockingly low uh-huh. on the list. And by below seven low psychopaths, list, it's below seven psychopaths, which I find baffling. That's okay. Insane. Stuhlbarg, you took the best one, Sean, as you were wont to do. I feel like I've got like eight things i could go with for Mm -hmm. the second best performance you could have your first double pick and i'm kind of juggling um but i gotta go with one that sits near dear to my heart and for once it's not the post oh wow i know (laughs) i forgot Um, he was in that it's a very post performance though um it's fucking steve jobs man hell yeah it should have been his second oscar nomination he's really good in it have you you, connor you've seen steve jobs oh yeah yeah he plays... I think we've talked about it before. Yeah, he plays yeah. Andy Hertzfeld. He's, like, the long-suffering, like, tech guy <laughs> who Jobs is just, like, heaping shit on the whole time. He's just so funny. Like, he gets the sort of, like, musical comedy aspect of Sorkin banter in a way that I think, like, everyone else in that movie, a movie I love, is, like, playing it a little too hard-edged. And he gets that, that movie's a comedy in such a great way. And it's always just such a delight to see him pop up. And if you're thinking of Stuhlbarg as like, you know, the character actor's character actor, right? Like you, you sprinkle a little Stuhlbarg into a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way Boyle and Sorkin like use him as this like 
almost energy jolt from the levity of his performance throughout that that very intense movie. Um, <laughs> it's it's great casting, and he's just a delight on screen. And it's like why you want Stolberg in a movie. Yeah. All right. What you got Connor. Connor. Um, you know, I, I think I said last week I haven't seen Trumbo, but he it's listed here as playing I Edward do. G. Robinson, which gets gets That's me more good. excited That's about that movie good. than Brian Cranston as Dalton Trumbo. Um, Here's the thing: I've I've never seen Trumbo. Me neither. But Jay Roach did the like broad comedy director becomes a serious political filmmaker thing before Adam McKay did. And I've seen all the other ones and he's way better at that than McKay is. So Trump was yeah. probably not as bad as vice is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, recount. If you guys have never seen recount, no. Jay Roach is like fucking dry as hell TV <laughs> movie about the 2000 election with Kevin Spacey and Bob Balaban and Laura Dern. Didn't Uh-oh. he also do the uh, the one with Sarah Palin? Yes, he did. Which is yeah. Eh. What's that one called? Any uh, game change. Game change. Yeah. And then I didn't see it, but he made a fucking MLK uh, uh, Johnson LBJ movie with I've Princeton and Tony Mackey. I've That's seen that. Probably one, weird. Yeah. Um, uh, Trumbo. I'm writing in the bathtub. But yeah, I'm not going. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> Trumbo. News flash here. I'm not picking Trumbo as my pick. Just just wanted to mm-hmm. throw that out there because it seemed interesting to me. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about picking Doctor Strange and how funny that would be <laughs> just to have that be on his Mount Rushmore. But I'm going to go with... I think with... he's really bad in those. <laughs> that's, why that be, that's why it would be hilarious. But I'm going to go with Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Um, uh, hell, easy. Easy. I mean, that was my that was my pick. If, yeah. if you didn't pick Fucking it. Fucking pick up the ball and dunk it. Truly, yeah. yeah. Heat check performance um, wraps up the movie in a way that the other performances in that movie almost like don't deserve for it to be wrapped a up with what he delivers percent. at the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, just like not heartbreaking, but like sentimental in a way that feels very grounded. That few performers like actually achieve when they're attempting to do something like that. I, I still think about when I saw it in the theater when it came out and I was enjoying the movie thoroughly up until, you know, that point. And then when his performance, when he comes in, you just can't stop thinking to yourself, I've never seen anything like this in a movie before. Yeah. Just like, cause I mean, that movie like really gets by on like, you know, the, sp- the suspicions of like the parents and it's just like, are they concerned their son's gay or anything? And then at the end, when he delivers that monologue, you're just like, Oh wow! Uh, it, I, I still don't think I've ever really seen anything much like it. There are there are two groups of people, um, who like that movie, uh, and the first group of people is straight women who get grossed out by actual gay porn, and the <laughs> second group of people is people who like the monologue that Stuhlbard gives that makes yeah. the whole thing fucking click together. Mm. Um, it's I I I. I he was never going to get an Oscar nomination for Steve Jobs, right? I'm not insane. Yeah. If if someone was getting a supporting actor nomination for Steve Jobs, it's Rogan. Um, it is insane that Michael Stuhlbarg has zero Oscar nominations, given that he is in A Serious Man and Call Me By Your Name. And, Two Best uh, Picture nominees that like hinge yeah. on him. He was in, wasn't he? Wasn't The Shape of Water and The Post all the same? Oh year? yeah, he yeah. he is. I believe I believe post studio era. 
he and John C. Riley are the only people to have ever done a hat trick of Oscar nominees in one year. Because <laughs> he's in Call Me By Your Name, Shape of Water Post, and John C. Riley was in Chicago Gangs of New York, The Hours. That's wild. Um, I know. Oh my god. I think I think post like Paramount Accords. What? Um, they're oh, the man. only people who have done it. It's an impossible thing to double check, right? Which which hat trick is better between the two? Um, <laughs> probably in terms the, of the quality of movies, yeah. or in terms of the feat, the movies. I think it's John C. Riley, and I think it's yeah. also impressive for John C. Riley because he did it in half as many options. That's also true. right. Yeah, I've never um, seen the hours, but I imagine. Oh my fucking god! Sean, I imagine. What? Well, the, the, what I'm looking at, John C. Riley is pretty incredible in that. Well, I'm he looking at one, Michael Stuhlbarg's yeah. like filmography, and I mean, like a lot of these are just sort of like becoming memory hold for me. But mm-hmm. like those, the John C. Riley roles, I can like picture very clearly. Like, I yeah. mean, I just rewatched Gangs of New York, and I think he's great in that. But a movie I don't super care for. Um, well, there's another John thing for Stuhlbarg where Stuhlbarg is subtly chameleonic where he yes. like really folds into the film oh my in a way god which is weird because he looks other actors cannot yeah that's like what i'm saying no one has ever looked ever you would never mm-hmm. if you saw a picture of him on a red carpet you would never expect that he would be able to just like assimilate himself on screen the way that he does with with all respect to michael stuhlbarg and i say this knowing that michael stuhlbarg is the celebrity i most look like um, so like I'm just like say this like know that I have the utmost respect of Michael Stuhlbarg I think he's a very handsome man um, it's not not an accident that his most high profile studio role off a serious man was playing the most obviously clockable alien of all time in Men in Black 3 <laughs> right like but 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 that's the thing he is he is so chameleonic. Um just to bring it back John C. Riley gives the call me by your name performance in the hours Sean all right, where I'm it's watch, really I'm just it like tomorrow. Like he, yeah. like he, like kind of like pops up throughout the whole movie, but it's really just that he gives this one like burn down the house monologue. Oh, okay, in that movie, that movie the thing, rules. The thing, though, if we're talking about the actual text of "Calling by Your Name," that yes. I adore of him in it is like in coming of age stories on screen. The parents are either depicted as one being immature in the sense that like it seems like their coming of age never like the coming of age of the main character is surpassing that of the parent that's like a typical thing that happens in these stories or Mm -hmm. the parent is like so far beyond their youth that they appear as though they never experienced youth to begin with which is like probably the predominant portrayal of this and what i love about him is like he's playing a guy that clearly has like reached like a summit of middle age but he's playing it with like the full awareness of like he he was once out there and free and and experiencing Mm. things for the first time and being able to relate that to what he can see his son going through even though he's obviously not fully in the know of what his son is going through he's also um, i i have to say that's what makes it just so special yeah the best part of the movie like in the rest of the movie, too, you're like constantly like, when's Michael Stuhlbarg going to show back up <laughs> as this yeah. fun dad and just like kind of just steal every scene he's in, even before this like monster climax? Ugh. He didn't fucking. Okay, I'm going to let's just briefly look at the 2017 Best Supporting Actor lineup, which we're going to be talking about 
a lot this episode. <laughs> Sean, do you uh, have your uh, do you have your fourth pick ready? My to fourth go? pick, uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Sorry, you're telling me he's worse than Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. Get the fuck out of here. Okay, sorry. Go, go ahead. I'm not gonna. I don't want Shape of Water on this goddamn Rushmore. Absolutely no, not. No. Um. No. I am. I'm picking a a a very a little known movie which I I saw years ago, but I, I still think, I think about like like what. I think I know where you're going. Continue. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Have either of you seen a uh, Tim Blake Nelson's The Gray Zone? Oh no, that's not where you were going. No. Uh, so he's in that and uh he's like uh he plays right up against like uh harvey keitel david arquette and steve buscemi but it's a it's basically the story of the soder commando and like the jewish uprising to like try and take down like one of the camps and uh that's right uh yes i believe so um anyway he's uh this the this the central conflict of the story is about how uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, I think he finds uh, a girl in the gas chamber who has like survived and like is just uh, brain damaged and he like takes her out and tries to save her and try and get her involved in the revolt and that movie is just very like almost nobody is like emoting at all it's just like pure like uh, rigorous um, process in terms of like taking down the camps and I mean like wow. It's a very uh it's a very undersung performance and uh no way fucking Shape of Water is getting on this rush no. That's a Not great pull. I've never seen this. Yeah, film. I've never seen I know yeah. Ebert really loved that movie. Yeah, it's a great um, movie and, for him. And talked a lot about how he thought Tim Blake Nelson should direct more yeah. until Leaves of Grass and then like <laughs> kind of flopped. But yeah, I've never seen that one. I've always wanted to. Tim Blake Nelson directed O. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> The Josh Hartnett Othello movie? That's <laughs> wild. Um, no, I've, I've never seen that one. I've always wanted to. It's it's um, very good. I highly recommend that's good. it. Mm-hmm. All right. He he was like a Tim Blake Nelson, not to just go on this wild tangent when we have, <laughs> oh, so, we have like, so much time. So much time. <laughs> he was like a classics expert from what I understand, right? Awesome. Isn't that how he... That's so fucking cool. That's isn't that how he got involved in... I, from what I understand, he got involved in O Brother because he was neighbors with the Coen brothers. They they sent oh. him the script being like, how does this measure up to... They were asking him for advice in terms of measuring it up against the Odyssey. And he thought they were off. They were like, what role do you want? To have? <laughs> and, and so he was like, I would love to be in this guy in the movie. And uh. they were like, oh, do you act? And he was like, yes, that is my do profession. And they were like, oh, well, we were talking about like Greek literature and Shakespeare at this barbecue we went to. <laughs> that, that's why we sent you the script. <laughs> that's insane. We should have done Tim Blake Nelson when we did Minority Report. Um, oh yeah, we could. I mean, but he's so bad in the movie though. <laughs> he's not uh, so bad in the movie. <laughs> he's, All right. He's fun. <laughs> Welcome to Above the Title, the podcast <laughs> about the career of Colin Farrell. Uh, and the changing state of the 21st century movie star. But this is actually a different podcast this week. This is Oops All Rushmores. Uh, we have a special guest with us today, Sean Fahey. You've already Hello. heard him. Um, Hello. So happy we are to be a little here. pressed for time. We have a hard out in three and a half hours, and I'm a little concerned we're not going to get to everything. We'll make it. We'll make um, it. This week... We are talking about the 2012 Martin McDonough film, Seven Psychopaths. The reason we are talking about Michael Stuhlbarg, 
and doing a Mount Rushmore is because Michael Stuhlbarg is in the first scene of Seven Psychopaths. Who else is in the first scene of Seven Psychopaths? Well, more Mr. importantly, he's in the first scene and then never appears. Ever never again. appears in the his, rest of the movie. He gets fucking Mo Greened. It's he the gets best. Mo Greened, and you does know he... that because they talk about Mo Green right before it happens. Do does does the bullet go through his eye? Because the bullet pointedly does not go through Michael Pitt's eye. I look. I was pretty drunk when I was watching okay. it the other night, and I'm I pulling just, it up. I, I have to believe it went through the. I can't like look. I mean, I texted you this, Cole, like yesterday. Yeah. But the, uh, my my ultimate like thesis about Seven Psychopaths is that this is a movie about how Martin McDonough is a terrible writer. So as a terrible I, writer, it's McDonough he just has doing to write some fucking Mo Green shit in the opening. So if it doesn't go through his eye, I'm gonna feel cheated. It's I, McDonough doing Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman. I have a take on that though. Mm-hmm. It does not go through his eye. I, I'm watching it right now. It goes pointedly right through the center of his forehead. I am taking um, a star off. I am. I am very upset. Uh, but 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 who else is in the, the opening scene of this movie? Uh, Mr. Michael Pitt. Mr. Michael Pitt. Sean, what do you got for the us? Michael Pitt one? Oh, if you wanted yeah. to do it, you said you wanted to do it. Well, Let's okay. Here's got, my I... here's my brief objection to it. Yeah. Is, okay. Does anybody care about Michael Pitt? I don't. I. I care about I care strongly about two Michael Pitt performances that I hope get on the, on the, on the my, on the my problem is if Sean picks one performance in particular I might have to <laughs> that's the problem with me is yeah. <laughs> I don't have four off the top of the head that I could go I with don't. and that's um, what makes the Mount Rushmore not super fun uh, uh, I don't particularly care about Michael Pitt okay is what I'm going to say I do care about the fact that Michael Pitt is part of the single greatest piece of celebrity gossip of all time mm-hmm. uh which i'm not going to repeat on mike but uh shout out to friend of the pod michael horty who does not listen to this show but uh <laughs> I-, I thought i knew all the details about this and then mm-hmm. he like dropped an additional bomb about michael pitt on me and it made it even more so the single greatest piece of celebrity gossip of all time um is his, his career is pretty much bad dead. It's pretty much dead, isn't that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. after Boardwalk Empire, like, what was he in? Um, he was he's, in, in he's in your favorite movie of the year, Sean. He is? He's in Black Flies. The oh, Ty okay. Sheridan, Sean Penn paramedic movie. Yeah, my played. favorite movie of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> you're gonna, in, in four months, you're gonna be like, oh, I watched Black Flies and it's so good. <laughs> Look, if Sean Penn has a movie that's uh, panned, it can. And con, you're yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I have to like it. I was, I was there. AMC I, River East, Flag Day. I there. do <laughs> honestly think you are Flag Day's biggest fan. Probably. Yeah. Like I'm not. Every this is a thing I think about <laughs> sometimes. Every movie does have a biggest fan, and the odds are actually pretty good that it's you for something obscure, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think, Sean, in your case, you might be the biggest fan of Flag Day in the world. Flag Day's got some good shit in it. Never Is it corny? It. Sure, yeah. Um, does it end on a climax? Uh, like, homage? Yes. <laughs> I'm it's learning funny. today that Michael Pitt is in The Smell of Us, the maybe unreleased Larry Clark film, The Smell of Us. Uh Dead. That's probably good. I'm the only person who likes late period Larry Clark movies. Mm. Um, I okay. screamed when I found out that someone's putting Marfa Girl 2 on Blu-ray. 
Oh, well, it's awesome. just the, the it's just the thing about Michael Pitt is for the guy who began his career leading a Bertolucci film and then yeah. leading a Michael Haneke <laughs> film, it's like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> and I understand um, I understand that there's like drama behind the scenes. I'm not especially in the know, but I do know that like from what it sounds like, he was killed off in Boardwalk Empire because they didn't like work the, the creators of the show didn't like working with him. Um that's like the story I've come across multiple times, mm-hmm. rumor wise on the internet. I don't, you know, maybe it's not true, but the the career path that he's had, I think, would reflect kind of like deteriorating relations in, yeah. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mostly um, works in France these days. That tracks. Right? That like his sense. last actual yeah. high profile movie was he was in The Last Days of American Crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the Olivia Megaton straight to Netflix action movie that's like a Michael Pitt Edgar Ramirez buddy picture that's probably unwatchable because it was directed by Olivia Megaton, the worst director alive. Not mm, he's mm, maybe not the actual worst director alive, but he ain't good. <laughs> Do not like Olivia Megaton, no sir. Uh, so, do you guys like the opening scene? <laughs> I. Well, that's what I was gonna say no, to start. Yes. I think I think this podcast may go best if we go scene by scene and just work our way through it. I think that might be what we have to yeah. do, just because of the weird structural gambit of this movie. So um, Martin McDonough. Let, let, let me boilerplate it then. Let me pull up the. Do you have the dossier in front of you? I do. You want me to read it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Read. Give Give us the deets on this movie. We're talking about Martin McDonough's 2012 film Seven Psychopaths. Um, it was shot by Ben Davis, uh, who's become his regular cinematographer. Stars Colin Farrell as um, a screenwriter named Marty. So I bet you can guess where that came from. Uh, Sam Rockwell as a I was going to say struggling actor, but I don't. I guess he's not struggling. He's just a Hollywood actor named Billy Bickle um Very woody nice. harrelson <laughs> as uh like a mafia boss named costello the italian mobster yeah, played by yeah. Woody harrelson. <laughs> the italian american mafia and it's a high-ranking apparently the apparently mafia. the yakuza exists in this world yeah we never see now them. now sean um, do you know what the deal is with harrelson in this movie um not exactly uh mickey rourke like quit like right before shooting was starting Damn. So they like basically called up Ferrelson as a favor to slot him in. So that character's supposed to be Rourke, which makes more sense. But Does is, it? I think so. Does it? I buy Rourke <laughs> more as a mob, mob boss. Yeah, but I, I don't think, think he'd fine. be as funny as Woody Harrelson. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm saying just the casting of. Oh, sure. Yeah. That they like keep repeatedly mentioning that this guy's Italian, right? Oh, yeah. No, I don't is, buy it whatsoever. Yes, that makes more sense if it's Rourke. Yeah, but L.A. Italian, it's different. Sure. Woody yeah, Harrelson no, is I... the second most Texan man of all time. It's different. Okay. <laughs> Behind McConaughey. Behind his brother, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> okay, Sean, did you a... see the oh. rumor that they might be biological brothers? Who, McConaughey and Harrelson? And Harrelson. That's awesome. Good they, they they believe that to be the it's case. It's a rumor that they full-heartedly believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a rumor that they started because they yeah. think it's true. <laughs> that Matthew McConaughey believes that his mother gave birth to Woody Harrelson, I think. Isn't that what I it, don't isn't that what the rumor it. is? Yeah. I don't understand it. I love those guys. Uh, back, it also stars the... oh, Chris, uh, Christopher Walken mm-hmm. as 
a guy named Hans Kislovsky. Um, Hans Kislovsky. Hans yeah. Kislovsky. Very cute. Named Hans. Uh, you get it? <laughs> the same character is also played in the film by Harry Dean Stanton. Um, Tom Waits is in this film. Don't know why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because he's later. great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know Corner exactly why Tom Hates is Colin Farrell's in this girlfriend. Movie. Olga Kurilenko as Woody Harrelson's girlfriend. How far do I need to go down? Kevin Corgan is in this. Jacques as we said. Uh, yeah, no, Michael Stuhlbarg. Back to the Italian thing. It's interesting because one, like Woody Harrelson, most Texan of all time, but he's backed up by Kevin Corrigan, who was in the most Irish movie of all time. Yes. And Jelko Ivanic, which yeah, is like Kevin Corrigan also plays an Italian in the most Italian movie ever made. That is half he? Italian. Yes. What does he play? He is in Goodfellas. Cool. I know he's playing an Irishman in Goodfellas. He's playing a half Italian. Uh, yeah, Sicilian. which is basically yeah, like the hills are Irish. Water. We get the hills. We <laughs> claim the hills. We claim Jimmy Conway. Um, <laughs> the only other person I want th- th- there are two other people in this movie that I just want to shout out. This is like Gabri Sinebe's like one of her more high profile post precious performances. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, yeah, only I guess cause she's fucking because <laughs> yeah. she was all over the trailer, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Uh like the, the full scene. I always love Bonnie like she was on my own child. Yeah. Um and then one, I don't want that image. Say what head. you will about Martin McDonough. He is the only person putting Brendan Sexton the third in movies. <laughs> now I I offhandedly said to Connor, do we want to do a Brendan Sexton the third Mount Rushmore? And Connor was like, who is that? The same, right? No, like <laughs> you guys don't know who this is. Okay, let me break this down. That sounds like he, a name, yeah. <laughs> he plays young Tom, Tom Waits in those yeah. brief flashback scenes. Mm-hmm. He is probably more recognizable as the probable rapist and killer in the last act of three billboards when oh. that guy like blows into town and like yeah. gets into the fight with him at the bar that's him um he really is good at like playing like dirty scumbags the reason i am ride or die for brendan sexton the third is that i think pretty unequivocally brendan sexton the third is maybe the best child star of the 90s mm-hmm. uh because brendan sexton the third gives two Near perfect performances, and I believe they're both 1995. He is in Empire Records. Have you guys seen Empire Records? No, I haven't seen it. He's he's incredible in Empire Records, and he's in fucking Welcome to the Dollhouse. Also, haven't seen it. Ooh, who yeah. is he playing? He's, Welcome to the Dollhouse. I'm failing. He's hard the bully, in like the oh the the, the bully that the one that threatens to rape her. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. So that's, that's why I'm always fucking best part of that movie. That's an extraordinary performance. Yeah, no, Connor, you should really watch Welcome to the Dollhouse. It's very good. <laughs> Certainly, before we maybe do a Todd Solondz movie on this podcast. Well, I mean, it sounds like we're <laughs> that's going to be the best that, Todd Solondz movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever actually going to happen because I don't think it ever shot. Oh really? Um, Damn it! Yeah. yeah. They announced it right before COVID, and I have seen no like updates on its existence post COVID. So I kind of am assuming it's just dead in the water. Damn. Um, see, so yeah, a lot of people in this movie that is called Seven Psychopaths. Um, it's very unclear which ones are the psychopaths. Ah, <laughs> I hard disagree. You hard disagree. So, you think when it's did the... you guys? Well, let's get into it. When did you okay. guys first see this movie? I saw oh, it in man. theaters, I believe, when it came yes. out. Yeah. I, I, w- I watched this on TV like all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> it was like on Showtime FX. And it was like, it literally is like one of those movies where if I'm like uh, skimming channels, 
Like if it's on halfway through, I'm I'm finishing it. Oh, cool. I like. I How many times this. have you would you say you've seen this movie, or at least parts of this movie? Oh man, I mean, well, like I the, I have like two logs of it on Letterbox right now. But like, if we're talking my whole life, at least upwards of ten times, I've seen this wow. movie a lot. This is my I second honestly, time watching this. This film. is my third time. Yeah. This is probably my favorite Martin McDonough movie, honestly. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, I haven't I seen Inspiration in a minute, but I love it. But that's wild. Um, I saw this in theaters, and I we we've kind of addressed this on the past couple episodes, Connor. But like when Collins and this, what we think is his nadir, because Sean, for reference, yeah. we are both of the opinion that the like two years that precede this movie mm-hmm. for Colin are his absolute nadir. They are also a fairly high profile run for him yeah. because he's in three big studio movies. It's horrible bosses. It's fright night and it's total recall. Uh-huh. Um, and we kind of addressed this on a recent one, but throughout that whole stretch, I, as someone who saw in Bruce with theaters and loved in Bruce was very much like, why is Colin Farrell wasting his time with this? So I was very, very excited for seven psychopaths because I was so ready to see Colin Farrell do another Martin McDonough movie. Right. Were you mm-hmm. very aware of McDonough at the time? Yes. Because of his theater work or because yeah, of- a, a little bit because of his theater work, mostly because of in Bruges. Yeah, I think I saw Seven Psychopaths first, and then yeah. I was like, oh, this guy directed a movie that's apparently really important called In Bruges, and then I watched that. And... My point is, I watched the trailer for this movie like a motherfucker back in mm-hmm. the day, right? Ten years <laughs> yeah. ago. I rewatched it today just to verify that my memory was correct, but I did not need to verify that because my memory was correct. There are, I would say, seven canonical psychopaths in this movie Mm -hmm. because the marketing of this movie was really leaning into selling it as the really, really awful Tarantino knockoff. Yeah. That it kind of faints into being in the beginning. And that meant fucking character posters for each of the psychopaths and Mm -hmm. fucking building the trailers around who are the seven psychopaths. Yeah. Yeah. So the seven psychopaths, according to the marketing of the movie, which I uh-huh. think is given the movie that we have as honest <laughs> as anything are Colin Farrell, mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, Christopher Walken, Abby Cornish, Olga Kirilenko and Tom Waits. Okay. <laughs> according yeah. to the marketing, that's according that's to the marketing, the they, they they each get character posters with the like psychopath number one, psychopath number two. Mm-hmm. They get like types like the trailer's a fucking countdown of who the seven psychopaths are going that's to be. That's kind of insane. That's are, kind of which insane. is insane because yeah. that's not in the movie. The the movie <laughs> the movie also does a literal countdown of the psychopaths. And yeah. it only gets to six. No, like it gets to four and then it skips the next two because you see them right in Colin Farrell's book. Yes. And then it ends with seven. But seven loops back to one. To one. Yeah, Yeah. but seven's also one. So it never, it only gets to six. It never gets to the seven. Also, wait, I can't remember what the count is because I feel like he skips one. Yeah, no, after after Harrelson is introduced, there's no on screen like psychopath number. 
Uh, I think it's does five ha- and six because you see Colin is Farrell. Ha- does Harrelson? Yeah. Does Harrelson get dinged as psychopath? He, he gets four? dinged. Okay. Yeah. So uh-huh. I, 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 I somehow zoned out during that. So yeah, I was like, I, I, when, when he, when you see him write down the names five and six, I was like, where was four? Who was four? Yeah. Um. No. I mean, like, pointedly, this is kind of a badly written script. Which I think is a part of the joke. Yeah, um, I well, don't yeah. know to what degree I want to give him the flowers for that, though, right? Like, because yeah. clearly what we That's have fair. here is this is a movie about someone who's got a good title for a Tarantino ripoff. Yeah. And can't actually write the screenplay. Yeah, yeah I actually right? think it's pretty hilarious. I, like... I think that's a funny joke, yeah. but I'm also like... Oh, you're really putting me through the ringer here, buddy. It's, it's, of like luxuriating in all your worst tendencies and then saying that you know that you're doing that. Well, it's a funny, you know, you have to remember that we're like five years away from the worst tendencies really, really protecting sure, themselves. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. So it's it's a funny joke for me because when I was a kid and I was watching this tar- this smug Tarantino ripoff, I was like, hell yeah, this is clever, this is violent, this is yeah. funny. Um, all these things, you know, when you're a budding film lover, you're just like on board with. And now that I'm like 25, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is a movie about how uh, screenwriters are the worst people in the world. And they just, again, he's fantasizing awful ideas for screenplays in like a, you know, a, this wasn't like a Hollywood film, right? This was like. This is um, this is a British movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it like, might have I been mean, distributed. Who distributed it? I mean, in the, the United first... States, CBS Films distributed yeah. it. So. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. So, and so the, it, it, the... it starts with a big film four funding from the BBC. Yeah. But like, as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, okay, this is just a series of bad screenplay ideas, like given five to 10 minutes of like credence. And then it just goes back to like, oh, that's just dog shit. And I think that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't know if I think that's <laughs> hilarious. Maybe because I mean we'll get into it. Dude, but I think when... <laughs> this is a yeah. movie I like. To be clear, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it as much as you, Sean Connor. I have no idea what you think about this movie. You've been very tight lipped in your. I actually, I really like it, but it's my third favorite McDonough film of the four. Oh, it's easily my third favorite. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's undeniable. I'll admit, like I think it's pretty ingenious the way that this. The way that the script actually comes together in full focus at the end, I, I do think cute. it's like a little ingenious. Well, it does like the, cute. it does the screenwriter cute thing of like shit they say in like the first like five or ten minutes is going to happen in the ending. Like you know, that's <laughs> less of what I think is cute. Um, it's dumb, but I like. Yeah, I think they. I'll... I think like again, I think it's a movie about how Martin McDonough, bad screenwriter great director though especially See, for that's, such- but that's the thing i don't think that's actually true yeah i, I don't either no it's not true i saw banshee's i think it's a little of the opposite screenwriter yeah. yeah um anyway so opening scene of this movie is this scene the begins overtly tarantine like yeah. obviously you're looking at Martin McDonough who is this guy who just to summarize has this like very decorated and acclaimed run as a playwright mm-hmm. that roughly coincides with Tarantino's similar 
early run as a filmmaker, right? So it is kind mm-hmm. of unfair to call him a post-Tarantino figure, which, which is what this movie is about. It is a little funny because um, when you read interviews with them from the earliest moments, Tarantino has always talked about how he's wanted to write theater, but people yeah. involved in the world of theater never really gave him a shot, <laughs> but people involved in the world of film will give him a shot. And McDonough has said the opposite. That's like, yes. he always wanted to make films, but people in the, the cinematic world were never yeah. interested in, in letting him do so. But people in the, in the playwriting world were like mm-hmm. all for it. But McDonough makes in Bruges. We talked about this on the In Bruges episode. It is impossible to look at In Bruges outside of the context of, the post the Tarantino knockoff film, right? Yeah, it is in so course. many ways yeah. the best Tarantino knockoff film, even if it is only really a Tarantino knockoff film because it is a clever and dialogue focused movie about criminals, right? It, yeah, it feels two gangsters to me, talking about regular yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm. It feels to me less like McDonough wanting to follow in Tarantino's footsteps than that just being the natural outgrowth of everything McDonough was aiming to. Maybe leaning a little into the marketability of like, this is the next guy Richie thing. Mm-hmm. But this movie is very much about how he hates that that label has been placed on him and wants mm-hmm. out as fast as possible. Well, I find yeah. that hard to believe that even in Bruce feels so organically McDonough to me, yeah. knowing what I do about his playwriting career and what he would eventually do uh, later mm-hmm. on with Banshees of Inishirin. Yes. Um And just the fact that it's like his references are like, don't look now and other every british person's first references that, don't look now. yeah but but they're his references in that film are like more meditative european films oh, yes. while tarantino's are exploitation cinema so even even it, like aesthetically it feels very desperate disparate from the tarantino knockoffs that we're having but i like i can understand why its appeal especially in america to audiences would be because it comes in that tarantino-esque vein and it's like you're saying it's the dialogue heaviness of it um and and being about criminals but criminals being silly and having like real life issues i would say (laughs) crack my knuckles here um whether or not you like martin mcdonough and there are plenty of reasons to dislike Martin McDonough. <laughs> there is at his crux of all of his work, even three billboards, especially in Bruges and this, <laughs> but even three billboards, there is a sort of like philosophical existentialism, right? That like unifies everything he's done in like a grand, almost Camus-esque sense, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's even perceived if like through it's... a thirteen-year-old lens, almost. Sure, sure. And <laughs> you can't forget you that people say... do really like three billboards. There are people out there even that really adore stupid. three billboards. Um, <laughs> even if you want to say, and I will concede to this point that, as you said, Sean, that his sort of philosophizing can be a little shallow. Mm-hmm. Those movies are still about something, which puts him like ten times above Quentin Tarantino on a good day, because uh, okay. Quentin Tarantino's movies are about nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to disagree with the above-the-title stance that Quentin Tarantino Tarantino is the worst. The the, the four official (laughs) above-the-title opinions are Brooklyn's a great movie, Goodfellas is a great movie, Fright Night is a great movie, Quentin Tarantino sucks. That's still more, that fourth one is still more of a (laughs) Cole-ism. Nope, it's good. Um, Um, 
let's get into this though because this movie <laughs> begins this movie this begins movie. in a very tarantino-esque manner of two hitmen uh having a conversation about shooting people through the eye the, the godfather but also <laughs> possibly real life situations where someone might get shot in the eye while they're a... waiting to whack some woman that's going to be like walking down the street and before they Who can do it <laughs> implied later to be kurlenko right yeah I think so, but I'm yeah, not. Yeah, because she's Woody Harrelson's sure. uh, yeah. girlfriend. Yeah, they're what do they build as? I'm trying to find their. But it also just Larry could be. It also just could be like some random. Woman sure, they're they're, they're, they're no going really to kill a mob yeah. boss's girlfriend. Woody Harrelson's girlfriend, who is Olga Kurylenko. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe and, someone before, else's girlfriend. Before they can, before they can, culminate this hit. They both get shot in the back of the head by like a masked figure who walks up behind them. Who is diamonds. Psychopath number one. Yeah. The, the Jack, Jack of Diamonds, diamonds who we yeah. later find out is a serial killer who is targeting a master high-ranking members of the Italian targeting <laughs> mid to high-level mafia members and always leaves a jack of diamonds. Which is essentially head. revealed to be three of the psychopaths in this film are serial killers. Serial killers who only attack yeah. other criminals now, or serial again, I must killers. Stress, <laughs> yeah. Mid to high-ranking members of the Italian American mafia. They say that like oh, and the Yakuza. Good line. Yeah. And the Yakuza. Um, and the Yakuza. <laughs> so I will say, I I have been the first to rag on Martin McDonough, the technical filmmaker, mm-hmm. who I think is a little basic in all his movies, and especially I have been the first and aggressively. What's his name? Ben Davis. Yeah, the cinematographer. Uh, yes, the yeah. cinematographer. I I will gladly talk about how I think Ben Davis is a bit of a hack and makes kind of sloppy, cheapo movies. Yeah, did, um, did he shoot? Did he shoot Banshees? He, he did, did shoot, shoot Banshees. Banshees. He shoots yeah. a lot of Marvel movies. Uh, um, I do think that the opening scene of this movie looks like shit in a very smart way. Well, I mean, I imagine right. you were thinking of too late a little bit. <laughs> the, again, the most beautiful movie ever made. <laughs> Why are we talking about too late? We got to do a John Hawks pod, Connors. We can do the too late episode. And also the first shot of this film is a zoom out of the Hollywood sign in the hills. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 Wait, have you seen the... too late, Connor? I have. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't realize you'd seen too late. Let's just talk about too late. No, the no, greatest, no, no, The no, greatest no, no, movie no. ever made. No, no, no. Come on. <laughs> um... But just just how how blown out the highlights are and how like clearly it's all natural lighting in the most garish possible sense. Um, the grains cranked up, right? Yeah. Like the choreography is really clunky. Everybody's like, skin tones just look yeah. really bad. I can't it's look, not I... a movie in a movie, but it mm-hmm. feels like a movie in a movie in a way that I think is clever, given that we don't know what the movie we're watching is yet. Yeah. Especially when you have already seen in Bruges going into this, it's a it's a shock seeing oh, yeah. just the way this film looks from the onset. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think this movie like looks great for the rest of its runtime, but I do think that like this is a smart use of looking bad. Yeah. I so we have the... our Jack of Diamonds, yeah. the first psychopath, psychopath number one. Transition into uh, is this when we are introduced to Colin? Right? I believe. Second I believe season. he sleeps. Yeah. He wakes up or something, right? He wakes up, um, he's clearly pretty hungover, has been drinking pretty heavily, this screenwriter named Marty. Again, you could guess where that name came from. Um, This is what I wanted to say about the cuteness, because Colin is playing a burnt-out alcoholic 
Irish screenwriter in Hollywood <laughs> who's clearly like failing to live up to a previous hit. Yeah. Named Marty. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That is such an open <laughs> invitation to view this movie as an autobiographical that my, in fact, gut instinct is to be like, mm, what is Martin McDonough trying to tell us about himself? Right. Like, I actually don't buy the autobiographical subtext of this movie. Does that make sense? No, same. Because it's so aggressive. It's so obvious. No, it's incredibly obvious. I imagine that I'm like, well, you're telling me a story about yourself, Martin. And when people do that, they lie. Well, can I ask something? Yeah. I remember on the in Bruges episode, uh, Connor, you mentioned that uh, Martin McDonough doesn't like seven psychopaths anymore. Yeah, I in the, in the interviews that I read with him, he he uh did he give any specific reasons why? Well, I no, he doesn't give specific reasons why. Maybe there are other interviews in which he does that I haven't read, but mm-hmm. um if I remember correctly, uh, about the time when Banshees was getting into its its heavy awards push uh late in that year, um some of the interviews were him saying like that because Banshees is so much more expressionist in kind of like the trials of a depressed artist trying to mm. like do something worthwhile and fail yeah. utterly, that one feels much more true to his experience than Seven Psychopaths does, which was like um, essentially what he was trying to do when he wrote Seven Psychopaths, but ended up just writing a film that he doesn't hate, but it failed to do what he was attempting to do in the first place. Sure. Yeah. Because I feel like for me, the intent of this, I don't like I don't think this movie is particularly deep or anything. But what I do think the movie is sort of in conversation with is when uh, when Tarantino went on TV to defend the violence in his movies. He said, because it's fun, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that's what the theme of this film is. It's kind of like evil Sullivan travels. What I like about this. I think he hates it. I think what, yeah, I think... I don't care if he hates it. I think it's his best movie. No, I mean, I think, I think, I think... Sorry, not that he hates the movie. I think he walks away from this movie hating the violence. And I think... Oh, you think so? You can see that in both Three Billboards and Banshees, which Mm -hmm. are so much movies where, like, violence is something that needs to be considered... Yeah. And whenever someone acts rashly in those movies and does something violent on like a spontaneous impulse, yeah. the consequences are so dire as opposed to the more like casual cartoony violence of even in Bruges. Mm-hmm. Right. Can I open up to you guys for a second? I, you could give sure. a shit. Open I don't up. give a fuck. Open um, up. <laughs> but essentially this was like a very interesting film for me to watch at this exact moment in time, because uh, this is the first time that I've had in a while, even throughout the pandemic, I didn't have this much free time because Cole and I had like seven hour Zoom <laughs> classes <laughs> of graduate school to do um, and hundreds of films to watch and 300 pages of stuff to read every day. Um, and because of the strikes, I, I read it, man, <laughs> I and did. it was hard. That's, uh, why than, that's why you're smarter than me. But that's also not true. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, this is the first time in a long time because of the strikes that I've had free time. So, you know, I've made a lot of shorts before. I was really hoping to make one now. I've been struggling to write something that feels worthwhile. And part of the struggle is like when you're not working with a lot of resources, it's hard to do something that's genuinely fun 
and energetic. And I'm at this point where like, I don't really want to make the austere short about trauma or some other kind of struggle with like the darkness of life. So this, this watching this right now really spoke to me in the sense that like the, the Marty character is genuinely trying to write a film i think he says specifically he's like it's supposed to be about love and peace and no he says like i don't want any shooting your guns in it yeah but the things that come into your head that you're drawn to when you're this type of person is Mm -hmm. psychopaths who just like can't stop killing other people or Mm -hmm. the the post-trauma of vietnam or other obsessions like that from from the more like darker elements of life i also think it's very telling that Marty doesn't have a single idea the entire movie. Mm-hmm. He yeah. has a title, but everything else gets fleshed out by someone else, right? Whether it's yeah. someone else's idea or he just whole hog plagiarizes real events that are happening around him. Because the only um, psychopath he comes up with genuinely on his own isn't really even a psychopath. Yeah. It's the he has, guy with the yeah. dynamite. Right? And who who does the payoff for that? Hans. Chris, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to table this, but I do think it's interesting. He has one idea in this movie, and we'll get to him when we get to it. And I think it's very interesting that Marty has one idea for where the screenplay should go. Mm-hmm. Um, but we meet Marty. He's like a blackout alcoholic. He's a total failure. He's played by Colin. His girlfriend um, is uh, Abby Cornish <laughs> and oh, Kaya. Maybe the most comically poorly written female character in a Martin McDonough movie. Yeah, but most of the, the women I know can string a sentence together. It's like the the only real competition is the Abby Cornish character in Three Parts. Uh, what did Abby yeah. Cornish ever do to Martin McDonough to fucking invite this much scorn? And um, his best friend is Billy Bickle, played by Sam Rockwell, who's an actor, probably actual protagonist of the movie. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, he's like the more compelling performance than Colin Farrell. Oh, it's like, hard, hard <laughs> disagree. Oh, really? Pump the brakes really? on that. Oh my God. Yeah. Colin Farrell I, is just like he's he's just playing Colin Farrell. I think. No, I don't know. I think Colin's wonderful in this movie, he's and good, I think yeah. Rockwell is kind of bad in this movie. Oh, man, I love Sam Rockwell in this. He's got so well, many great bits. <laughs> you want to get into it? Are we what the Rockwell Rushmore? The Rockwell Rushmore. I we should probably get it out of the way now. We're, we're going to do running it. Yes. so behind. We've been doing this for almost an hour, and we're we got we got three hours, about ten percent of the way through what we need to cover. <laughs> yeah. But let's get it out of the way. Sean, Sean Rockwell, Sean, so, what's your first pick? Uh, I had a really good idea for what my number one pick was going to be up until a couple weeks ago, and I told you Cole about this to to your detriment. Oh, because um, I forgot he was in the movie. Yeah, no, but which was Maya, which was embarrassing given who given I am and what the movie guy, was. Yeah. Um, but no, my number one Sam Rockwell pick is a uh, Digging for Fire by Joe Swanberg. Yeah. I forgot he was in it. Oh, Full he's disclosure. so good in it. Uh, <laughs> he's he good just, in it. Like he has to. So Jake Johnston is the lead, right? He's, yes, that's his name. Okay, well, basically Sam Rockwell has to play both his like id and his conscience in like two different parts of the film and he pulls it off excellently without having to really like change the character up a lot he's got this great monologue where he's asked like why don't you want to why don't you want kids why don't you want a family and all he does is he drunkenly like looks at the corner of the room and he's like man i need my sleep 
I just, I just need my sleep like over and over again. And it's like, he's not getting a legit answer out, but like he, there's a lot happening for such a short movie. And for like, there's a lot of people in that film, Cole, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the star showcase Swanberg movie. Yeah, no. And with a lot of people being in that film, I just really like how he's able to take like such a short amount of time and communicate so many ideas about the main character and, and because like Sam Rockwell plays like the the more working like class to like Jake Johnson mostly has like white collar friends mm-hmm. and then he walks in the movie and he tells them to like we have to go find a dead body so that's my number one pick I really love that yeah. movie I can't believe I forgot he was in it he's quite good in it too I mm-hmm. love that movie rules Connor what you got um this is a really hard one for me he's one of my favorite actors possibly a distant third cousin maybe that i've never met <laughs> i don't oh, know wow. if that's true I, or not i, I see it. it i have heard the rumor i, I do see it um, through family awesome. members um again i've never met him so i don't know if that's even remotely true uh but we do share a last name somewhere down our gene- genealogy uh so cool. if i was going to go with my heart i would have to throw out there that he was teach in the most recent revival of David Mamet's American Buffalo for which he, he got nominated oh, wow. for a Tony. And I would say that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> that is fine. I just wanted to throw that out there because that is what I would go with. If um, I really had to Cole, I'm going to trust you to do the right thing with your pick. And I'm going to pick a film because I actually think the film I'm going to end up going with is his better version of the performance that he's been asked to give in seven sure. psychopaths and that's confessions of a dangerous mind sure yeah man haven't seen that he's really fucking good in it. i imagine he's, he's incredible re- in it. Yeah. he's pretty remarkable and it's it's almost jarring that he didn't become like i know he's not as good looking from the outset but it's pretty remarkable that he didn't get offered the same types of roles that brad pitt has been offered it's from like it, the preceding or from the following 15 years after that movie came out. It's one of those things where you're like, was Sam Rockwell born to give this performance or did this performance kind of invent the Sam Rockwell persona? You know what I'm (laughs) saying? Because it's so early in his career too. And it just so crystallizes everything about him. You'd like that movie, Sean. Which one? Confessions of a Dangerous. Oh, I mean, yeah, if, you no, like, I imagine I would. if you like Seven Psychopaths, you would. I, yeah. It's almost guaranteed that you would like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah, no, I've had it recommended to me so many times before, so I gotta. Yeah. I, gotta I know Clooney's out. not a really good director, but oh boy, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it it's his it's best a, film. It's probably his best film. I have a lot of affection for the Eyes of March because. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> the most the, Obama because it's administration the, you and me were like yeah. the kind of people who would like the Ides of March, Connor. Right? Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, boardroom. We'll do it at some point. We're almost Yelling guaranteed in to do it at some baby. Point. Yelling in boardrooms. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I remember I watched the Monuments Men in my AP oh. European History oh. class. Oh. Oh. I had to really like <laughs> zip my mouth shut for that one. Uh. <laughs> All right, cool. Do the right thing. No, I'm not going to do the right thing. So I'm you're sorry. not going to do the right. I thing? I actually have literally have no idea what the right thing is. <laughs> but okay, full disclosure, I am not a big Sam Rockwell person. Okay, I think he's a bit of a cartoon, and yeah. I think part of my distaste for Sam Rockwell is lingering distaste for Three Billboards and Jojo Rabbit, <laughs> uh, and wondering if that has just colored everything else. But I think he's a bit of a ham sandwich. Uh, he he's very shallow. It's a lot of 
noise. This is why you have to do the right thing and pick the the performers where he's not doing that shit. Oh, well, I am picking the one performance where I think, because like, I think he's great in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, but because like I said, the whole point of that movie is that Chuck Barris is like an empty cipher of just manic energy, right? That he's like spaz uh, Patrick Bateman. Um, there is one performance where I feel like someone managed to get Sam Rockwell to play like a real human being with a beating heart. And it's a, like a weirdly tender and beautiful and moving performance in a movie that only I like sometimes, I think. But if someone was going to get a good performance out of Sam Rockwell, it is the person that I think before her untimely death was probably the greatest living American filmmaker. Uh, I'm putting laggies on the board, baby. Oh, okay. Nice. Not the right Hunter's thing. Not happy with me. Not the right thing. That's the right pick. Have I've you never seen, seen it. I've heard it's good. He's I mean, just... he's he he is very good in it, but there's... <laughs> I would I would gesture to say he gives a better perform- nope. a better, more toned down, more nope. It's just so t- it's just so yeah. just so kind. Right? Like I just there, there's just a sensitivity to it that like you would never expect to see out of Sam Rockwell that like, you're not surprised that Kira is really great in that movie. Right. Um, But you are kind of surprised that Sam Rockwell would meet Kira at her level, which is not the sort of performance you'd ever see him give ever anywhere else. Um, I just love it. Uh, It's a great movie. All Lynn Shelton movies rule. Um, that is also and true. Basically, everyone is giving their best performance in a Lynn Shelton movie, regardless of the Lynn Shelton movie. Is the other thing, right? Like she, she had just did such a gift with like tapping into this deeper well with all of her actors, which is insane because that trick was basically first takes um, and minimal mm-hmm. rehearsal, but it always worked. All right, Sean, do whatever Connor thinks the right thing is. Oh no, I'm I, I'm it, I'm going cartoony it? mode, man. Okay. I'm going I'm going off the deep ends because I, I picked my humane, you know, sensitive performance. Sure. So I'm going. Uh, this is just a personal favorite of mine. I like there are like bits and gestures that I just like can't get out of my mind from this movie. But I think my last pick has to be the the 2005 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. Oh, I've never oh, seen that actually. Oh, I've seen it yeah. way Christ too many almighty. times. <laughs> is this a is this a bad Christ Almighty cool or? Like oh no, this is a, I, well, he look. It looks like he hates this movie. I um, don't hate that movie. I don't think that movie is good. I do kind of hate the Sam Rockwell performance. <laughs> he's just all over the place. He's just he like is. he's playing a guy with two heads, he and is. he just like he can't settle down. And he's it's just he's that boy Beetlebrox, and um, just like it's at in a, in a movie that's just like British people, like you know, very mild mannered, and like there's all this like just general romance that's you know sort of like diluted from what the original like book is. It's just he's out of control. He makes me laugh so much so much when I watch that movie. So. I got to put that on the last one. I'm, I was, let, I'm letting th- you have it. This is odd. I, I, it's it's just, you know, like. <laughs> What's the alleged right choice? It's the way, way back is the right one. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah, that's the norm- right choice for him. Well, no, my, yeah. he, do you guys want to hear my normal picks? Like my humane rock? He also gives the no. best performance in Jesse James. He gives the no, best one. He does Yes, he does. That is not No, true. he doesn't. He gives no, the best there... performance to Jesse James. No, the best Sam performance. Shepard it's funny that we don't have Moon on here. Sam Shepard is pretty great. Yeah. 
But no, he gives the best one. He gives the best one in Jesse James. The way, way back. Sure. Carter, yeah. that's not a real movie. It's the right pick. <laughs> that's it's a the right trailer. Pick. That's it's a the two right hour pick, man. trailer. Well, it's uh, you could have picked sleeper. it and you didn't. It's well, yeah, I, I had one the, of the like I had the initial right people pick. he sells coke to in Light Sleeper. <laughs> that's so cool. Um <laughs> the way, way back. Back? That's it, man. That's is the that podcast the... is oh. about to go off the fucking deep. Yeah, end. there's no way that this is his best performance. No. So Sam Rockwell in this movie, my my case for him being the protagonist is just that I think there is something so passive and like observatory about Marty, yeah. someone who never moves the plot forward. the The scenes never sent around is just like this almost like ghost like figure who is watching everything occur. Yeah, they're, um, they're... That even if he's the viewpoint character, Rockwell is the character whose story is being told. Well, one of my favorite yeah. jokes in the movie is during like the Sam Rockwell's idea for the big shootout. And he yeah. says to Marty, it's like, Marty, you're just in the corner. You're writing everything down. Nobody thinks you're a pussy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I do think this this is part of the reason yeah. why I think this movie is kind of a genius is because the 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 writer is always trying to write about themselves. Yes. And they have to at some point realize that they're not the main, like they are not sure. the main character of the film. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think I think that's why I kind of like don't bust McDonough's balls for casting Colin Farrell as the McDonough stand-in, which a lot of people to this day bust McDonough's balls over that because it's mm-hmm. because it's not not narcissistic. Um, I guess so, but I, I mean, sure. I mean, oh, can sure I, but I guess if Colin yeah. hadn't been in, in Bruges and they didn't have yes. like a pre-existing oh, yes, relationship, it would be a lot different of a scenario. Can you ask Sean? Can I? Yeah, can I ask? And because this is a Colin Farrell podcast, so I have yes. some Colin Farrell questions. Hit me. Um, one, well, one of the interesting things about this movie is that, like, I've been I've, I've been listening to the pod for a while now. Big fan, Sean. And you're the, probably our number one fan. I'm oh, not sure. Hell yeah, let's go. You were the only person who reached out to me when we went we went dark for two weeks and asked what the hell was going on. Because <laughs> every Friday I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> let's go. And then it was just gone for like three weeks. Yeah. And I was like very sad. Yeah. Um, but basically, like, I mean, like Colin Farrell, like he can play a freak. Yes. He can play like a, he can, and this is a movie filled with freaks. Yes. So why is he playing the only normal person in the film? Because on top the, of that, is the alcoholism another like and like what's going on with that? Like, I don't know, and I have huh. no real interest in figuring it out because okay. of what I said about the the autobiography being so front and center that I'm like, eh, if this is what he wants us to tell. If this is what Martin McDonough wants us to think about himself, I'll just take that at face value. Well, when I mean, it comes to the like, addiction stuff. Yeah, but like, how does he feel about like Colin Farrell? Because the alcoholism in this movie is very yeah. like light. You know, he's yes. like he's sipping like glasses of wine while he's writing his notebook and shit like that. It's very like not ugly. Well, okay, but based on what Colin has said and yeah. what you hear about in the press, mm-hmm. um, Colin Farrell's sobriety had more to do with just the understanding that it was going to get bad for him if he continued down this road Mm -hmm. than any actual like rock bottom or like horrific behavior that Mm -hmm. he needed to wake up from. Whereas this guy is like kind of a bit of a nightmare when he's drunk. Yeah. Right. In a way that like, just this doesn't seem to have been the case with Colin so much as Colin just like 
met with some people, went to therapy and kind of realized that he was. Yeah. Even if he was like keeping his raging addiction, mostly like in like a fun party place that it would have just mm-hmm. gotten bad and like socially well, and I didn't bad, talk about it bad, either, but uh... killing, killing his body too, like, like, like a yeah. physical degradation that he was headed towards it, it just never came up organically in conversation yeah. but he said in interviews that he had a he suffered a back injury when they were filming miami vice and he started uh, taking like prescription painkillers because of it and that was he he kind of credits that event in his life as being the thing that like kind of put it over the edge of oh, like, okay okay i'm blacking out regularly now i don't remember a lot of what's going yeah. on in my life mm-hmm. yeah but he to my again based on what he said he does not have a rock bottom in the way that a lot of addicts talk about having a rock bottom. Despite mm. the media kind of trying to impose it, upon that's, his life. The fact exactly. That that's the other thing is like, like yeah. th- th- there's so many venues for it. Um, I love this performance. I think this performance is wonderful. The I one Colin too. gives. And I think yeah. it's because he's not playing a freak. Because I kind of realized while watching this movie and being like, oh my God, he's so good at this. I was like, why am I responding so well to this? Connor, we've been talking about this like three months slump we've been in, right? Yeah. Where the movies aren't good. Even if you insist but cannot defend that the way back is watchable, which it's not. And I clocked what it was watching this. Just FYI, Sam Rockwell is not in the way back. Yeah. I know there's two ways in the Sam Rockwell one. (laughs) And and neither is Ben Affleck in the way back. This is four and a half years after... um, Inverse, which is not actually that long of a time, but just feels like an insane amount of time because he's just been working so much post-Inverse. Every single thing he's done since Inverse has been capital A acting. And some of those performances are good and some of those performances are bad. But I'm watching this and I realize I don't actually like seeing Colin Farrell capital A acting. I don't like seeing the effort on screen. He can do it. He can give good performances when he's fucking like stretching those muscles. But his real talent is in inhabiting, right? Mm, Yeah. And there is an honesty to a performance like this. Even if you're like, well, he's just being Colin Farrell. He's just being himself. I, You say that. I say, mm. no, everything feels honest. Everything feels true. He's listening to everything people say to him. The, mm. the body language is earned. Like that. There's just a, a like full body truth to these smaller, more reactive performances that mm-hmm. like even something like in Bruce, which is a better performance than this, but even something like in Bruce where he's trying harder. Again, like, he's the main character in, in Bruce. He's not the main character in yeah. this film. Despite mm-hmm. this film tricking you at the beginning into thinking he's going to be the main character in the film. I also mm-hmm. think he's not playing a freak because of that main character distinction. Yeah. But mm-hmm. comparing him to Sam Rockwell, which is all ticks and all one-liners and all yeah. just like, I am acting, acting, acting. I'm giving a big performance. I'm just like, I don't believe anything sam rockwell's doing in this movie I there are scenes though where he's Colin's not doing necessarily movie. giving the big performance though that's the yeah the i still don't buy him though it is the smaller yeah. bits for me like when he reads his diary and he's talking mm-hmm. about okay uh, i watched the flag uh like from seven to seven or something that's 12 hours no don't he burn says the flag. he says wow that's a full 11 hours that's a full 11 hours <laughs> yeah no like it's and that's right after 
we're jumping all over the plot at this point, but that's right after the reveal that he's the Jack of Diamonds, which I think is a great balance between like, you know, the, the really manic performing stuff. And then just like the very quiet, like discomfort with who uh, Billy is. Let me run through some stuff and then let's jump back to this analysis. But so we have Marty, who's a screenwriter and his friend is Billy. He has another friend named Hans who's played by Christopher Walken. Hans and Billy kidnap dogs and then uh, they use the kidnapped dog to return it to the owner for reward. And Hans's wife is also dying of some form of cancer in the hospital. Uh, One of the dogs that they kidnap is Woody Harrelson's dog. So Woody Harrelson decides to go on like a murderous rampage to get his dog back from the kidnappers. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I I have to interrupt. Uh, Sean. Yeah. There's a new Bob Byington movie. Oh, let's go. It just go. fucking sold. It stars David Crumholtz. Crumholtz. Uh, <laughs> it's called Lousy Carter. Magnolia is oh releasing it. God. Follows a ne'er do well literature professor adrift on a soulless college campus who learns he only has six months to live. With the clock is ticking, will he change his ways? Probably not. Let's fucking is it, go. Is it too late or is it never too late? Which one is it? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it played Lacarno. Okay, people will see Lacarno. It played Lacarno. Okay, continue, Connor. Okay, we're so, so, we're so back. Woody Harrelson's so going on a murderous back. rampage to try to get his dog back. Meanwhile, Marty is writing a screenplay. Uh, it it appears that he's been um, he's been hired to write a screenplay. Like he's been given a prompt to write a screenplay about. It is about the seven psychopaths. Oh no, I think he can't he come up with the seven psychopaths. I think he pitched that. I think but he that's pitched the. He if we're gonna well, get into it, like I think he pitched the Seven Psychopaths, but I think it's implied that his previous movie was like a hyper violent one, and they were like, "Oh can yes. you do? Yeah. Can you yes. do another oh, yes. one of those?" Okay. So, okay. Exactly. Yeah. We're I on think the same page. The funny part about his screenwriting, it, which is probably something Martin McDonough experienced something very similar after in Bruges, is that he's being asked to do something that he doesn't want to do, and he's struggling to like actually piece the thing together uh, yeah. to be coherent in any given way it's it's the sullivan's um, travels problem he wants to make yeah. great art without the uh yeah. expense of you know killing numerous people and like I, writing awful I while do, he's doing you, this you've said that twice now sean and i get yeah. the analogy i do need <laughs> to just put the cards on the table martin mcdonough is not preston sturgis and oh no he's not. Is not absolutely i'm just let's saying just, the comparison clear. is there while he is trying to attempting to write this screenplay, his friend Billy is like alerting him to real murders that are happening out there where there's a serial killer named the Jack of Diamonds that seems to be killing mid to high level members of the Italian American mafia and the Yakuza. Yeah, the Yakuza. But we can <laughs> just drop the Yakuza stuff um, about for later. Um, I it's love that one of their- oh. that Billy is having an affair with Woody Harrelson's wife uh, and that he was the one that kidnapped the dog. Um and is refusing to give it back, and uh, he eventually wants to kill Woody Harrelson in some glorious shootout out in the desert or in a graveyard or whatever you have. Woody Harrelson goes after them, finding them at Billy's apartment, and then eventually chases them out into the desert where said standoff happens and doesn't happen simultaneously, Um, to which almost all of the characters die, and Marty returns home to write the screenplay about the seven psychopaths. Is that kind of so that is everything? the plot. Most yeah. of it. We'll I mean, get into there is the hospital scene you're missing. Um, the you missed the, the Quaker stuff, we'll get into it. Uh you know who plays one of um 
one of Woody Harrelson's henchmen, though, who dies pretty early on. Oh, man. Well, we talked about Stuhlbar. We talked about Pitt. <laughs> the goat. So are we yeah, talking who... about Kevin Corgan? Kevin Corgan. Sean, take yeah. it away. Um, Number one, uh, uh, Goon, right? In Buffalo 66? Mm, Is his name Goon? I don't remember, but I know yeah, the It's like you're a goon because you're a fucking goon. Yeah, no, that's it. Like, have you ever heard him talk about that? Like, no. Just behind the scenes. So he's like, he's just kind of like really ashamed of that performance because like, just because he like literally plays like kind of a scum of the earth character who's just like bullied by Vincent Gallo the whole movie. But there really is this quiet note of friendship that he holds on through the whole thing where it's like, I mean, even at the end when Vincent, when a uh, Billy comes out of the club and he calls him to apologize. And it's like, don't go into my fucking locker. It's mine now. And he tricks him. And it's just like, uh, it really is, it does feel like he's giving every ounce of like um, insecurity or like self-hatred into that role. At I mean, it is for the expense of like Gallo, but like, I just, I kind of think, I mean, I've, I've talked to you about this, Cole, but I didn't like that movie the first time I saw That's it. insane. I know, I was stupid. You also um, never said a bad thing about Vincent Gallo in your life. I, I, yeah, sure. Okay, sure. Um, but I think he's very sad in that movie. I think he's like a he's like a puppy. I just kind of want to pet. And uh, it's very weird for somebody who's had the career he's had. Uh, so, yeah, that's my number one, Buffalo 66. God, it'd, be oh, yeah, so, right. it'd be so funny if we did four Kevin Corrigan movies, none of which are ones where he plays heavies. Um, <laughs> so I've said before that Kevin Corrigan is in a weird spot where if he's in a movie, it's almost certainly a good movie. Yeah. Um, not because he's like my favorite actor or anything, but just because I feel like if you're putting Kevin Corrigan in a movie, you're you probably real recognize real. Yeah, it has almost never been featured higher than like number six on the call sheet for any given yeah, movie. Yeah, but I am yeah. going with what I think is the closest thing he's ever had to a lead role. Um, it's not a lead role. It's just like a marquee supporting role. I think um, I know where you're going with this but one. There's a reason I've been on your ass to do a Kevin Corrigan, Rushmore Connor, even though you don't want to do it. You know, we've shouted out. Yeah. Ian Shelton. Yeah. Shouted out Joe Swanberg. Uh-huh. You gotta shout out Andrew Bajalski. I'm going with results. Hell yes. Connor, have you seen results? I have actually, yeah. I think I, it's, it was just recently like Netflix is really featuring it for some reason. Yeah, or one of the streaming reason. services was. Yeah. Um results rules. Um Results is mostly a bunch of jokes about the suburb of Austin I used to work in. Um, which is why it's always baffled me that people who don't live in Austin think that movie's funny. Um, results is mostly a rom-com about, uh, Kobe Smulders and Guy Pierce, but Kevin Corgan plays this like newly rich kid living in this like empty McMansion, like just living this vapid soulless existence. And, you know, for someone who's so often like the eighth guy in a scene, right? Like someone who you like add in to add just like a little spice to something that like is already working. That that he carries so much of this movie literally on his own because so much of him is just him in this like dilapidated empty house, like ordering pizza and trying to amuse himself. I think it's a really heartbreaking performance. And like, I don't know, it is like a glimpse into a world where people like give Kevin Corrigan bigger and better roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he shows more 
range and depth in that than he does in a lot of his more high profile performances. And I, I love that performance. Connor. Shout out a uh, big fan about how much it sucks to live in Staten Island. That's what that movie is about. Never seen big fan, actually. <laughs> um, he's just, you know, he and Patton Oswalt are like diehard yeah. Giants fans. And they're idiots. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the departed because he kind of blows DiCaprio off the screen and you basically just wish that he was the Billy Costigan character in the film. I I don't agree with that at all. (laughs) I don't agree with that at all. I'm tempted to veto you just for saying that. Yeah. I don't know how full heartedly I believe in that because it's, you don't believe in that. It's also basically my favorite DiCaprio performance, but it's mine. If if he was that role in that movie, I think it's just as good of a movie. if not a better movie. that was going to be my pick and not for those reasons. Um, I those respect reasons it. Shitty <laughs> those reasons suck. I, I, okay. Can I, can I go off about the departed for a minute? Yes. Yeah. Um, what I like about, cause it's a very small role for Kevin Corrigan, but like, it really is hilarious to me that Billy's entrance into the Boston, like gangster underworld is through his cousin, Sean. <laughs> He just, has happens, to, man. he just has to go to his grandmother like his grandmother or aunt's house yeah. and then talk about doing a coke deal and he's in and like yeah. kevin corrigan just has like the seedy looking face and like i've I, um, one of my best friends is from boston so we've watched the departed like numerous times together and every time we get to that bit where it's like you know when the the, the music cuts out and it, billy and then it's just like you're he's in the he's in the world right now and that's all because of kevin corrigan's face i think Great, yeah. great small role. Yeah. I'm mad at you, Connor, so I'm not gonna talk about this. <laughs> uh Sean, what's your what's your fourth pick? Um and need yeah, to remind you that he's been in three Bob Byington movies. Uh well, I mean, that's what because you you threw me for a loop because you mentioned Bob Byington. So I mean the the last answer has to be Memorial Man, right? And somebody up there likes me. Mm, interesting. He's just it's I, good. He's so good in it. He's just that it's movie, really good. That movie is so funny for reasons that I just can't fucking express right now. I remember watching. I mean, I watched that basically on your recommendation, and I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> he just he just like shows up to Keith Polson when Keith Polson is just stealing the flowers. Yeah, and he hands him the and he tells him to just like keep going on with life, and it's just like a funny, nice little sprinkling of. You know, Kevin Corrigan is adding a little weight mm-hmm. to what is otherwise a very light movie. Um, yeah. I love that movie. Connor, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Kevin Corrigan, similar to Stuhlbarg in the way that it's like, how has this not happened for him yet? Other than if you remove Serious Man from Stuhlbarg's filmography. Yeah. You're kind of mm-hmm. left with Kevin Corrigan's like a similar oh style God. thing here. I would say even beyond that. Stuhlbarg is featured more heavily in the films that he's in than Stuhlbarg, oh, yeah. than, than Corrigan is. I mean, this is why film. I like... But the... you just see him in so many movies, and he's so incredible in yeah. the limited... The, the one or two scenes he gets in every it's, movie. It's just mind-boggling like that he hasn't had it happen. in yeah. Somebody Up There Likes Me. But it's like, again, it's that exact... You still remember group. that, like, face. Um, but yeah. Seven Psychopaths I, is very, out very similar. What? That one more performance of Kevin Corrigan's that I would have picked if it was a little more high profile in the movie. Okay, well, uh, but I just need to shout this out as like the honorary fifth spot. Um, you guys ever seen Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I said yeah. though. Connor, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
He gives a wordless performance as oh a man God. in Port Authority in the middle of the night getting harassed by a drunken Ari Grainer. Um, <laughs> that is just all reaction, and it's so funny. I think the most meta thing ever is that, is he not the acting teacher in Community? Is he not the acting remember. professor in Community? So. He's one of the professors. or is he's he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe good in he's the like of... the theater professor in, in Community. Which is... is he? Oh, is he good in The King of Staten Island? No. Oh, I thought so. Okay. Sorry. But Seven Psychopaths, it's a very classic Kevin Corrigan feature. Yeah, he's a heavy. Yeah. He's a heavy who gets killed off a scene into the movie. Yeah, the only real yeah. twist, I think, is that he dies so quickly and then Jaco Ivanek ends up being... Um, the guy who's there two. the whole way throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, when you think it's going to be Corrigan. Uh, you want to do Jaco Ivanek? <laughs> no, no. So, uh, while while Marty is writing the screenplay, Billy puts out a ad in the newspaper for any psychopath to call them and come and pitch their their life story, which makes them a psychopath, which may or may not be included in the final <laughs> screenplay as it's being written. Um, one said person is Tom Waits, who shows up to to tell a story about how he was robbing a a county judge i think he says like somewhere in the american south and found like a tortured black girl in his basement and then two of them they (laughs) uh fall in love and go on a killing spree where they only attack other serial killers throughout the country so you see like the texarkana killer and the zodiac killer um getting murdered by this this couple it's it's so every every like mid-century serial killer who was never caught whose identity is to this day unknown the punchline is oh no this couple killed them and that's why they were never caught when um, when they when they cut to the the guy with the flowing white hair and it's the and like zodiac. the peace loving hippies, he's got all the and it says Zodiac nineteen seventy five, which is which is like well that's like a, a a very clever joke because you have to like know that the Zodiac stopped fairly quickly. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying, and like just the the idea that like oh the Zodiac like became a pacifist and that's why he stopped killing people is like a good little gag. Um, so Sean, you said earlier that you don't know why Tom Waits is in this movie. No, I said that. Oh, you said that. I, I was being a little facetious. Like, I know I, I why. It, I mean, I can tell you exactly yeah. why Tom Waits is in this movie. Yeah, it's in this movie to be in the trailer. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to, right? Is that I mean, that's, and I I, I really like, like that whole flashback. Yeah, the flashback's so, oh. fun. The violence the in it is so fucked up. Yeah, it's <laughs> nasty. The post credit scene, I think, is like kind of lovely. Um, when yeah, he shows back I like up it at the end of the too. movie. There's a post credit scene for this movie? You I was wondering it? why you hadn't mentioned it. What? So basically, I did not. I've never seen oh, the post credit scene. There's can, can a post credit scene for this movie. Can I? Um, yeah, go ahead. Because I think it connects. Because like when you first meet uh, Tom Waits, it's just like, this flashback's going on and you kind of buy it for the story. But at the same time, there's this level of like, is this just some guy who read an ad and now is telling Colin Farrell, like this fucked up, you know, generation like spanning violent love story. And then he just kind of leaves and he's like, Oh yeah, I guess that's one of the psychopaths. Um, But he, he makes him the promise. Like if I put your story in my film, I'm going to write a little card that says, uh, here's my number because the wife left him after he was a 
after, after he powered uh, out of the zodiac killing refused to take part in the, the yeah. killing of the zodiac and killing. so he's like if you use my story put my phone number in the end credits so my wife can call me um after colin farrell walks off into the sunset with his new screenplay it goes to credits for like five seconds and then it does some fight club editing where it's like, like it looks so bad yeah it's to be it's, clear it's a terrible it, effect my eyes are rolling to the back of my yeah. head but basically um it cuts to like this super red shot of uh, colin farrell like months later year maybe a year later has gone by he gets a call from tom waits and basically says you fucked up. You didn't put my number at the end of those credits. And Colin Farrell just starts freaking out. And it really like, that's when Tom Waits really showcases that I'm not screwing around because he pulls up like a huge machete and he starts picking his fingernails with it. And he's like, I'm going to come see you uh, Tuesday. How's that sound? This is insane and that I've, I've seen this movie twice now. It didn't even, it wasn't even knowledgeable that there was a, a I imagine you were like seven psychopaths is over. I'm going to go do something else now. Well, I'll tell you the first time I saw uh, it, I did not understand because I went uh, in expecting what the trailer and the marketing sure. made you believe this movie was going to be, which was like, I one I, as against Cole, I was not very knowledgeable about Martin McDonough. I don't even know if I was aware that he was the same director as in Bruges at the mm-hmm. time. So I was pretty like nonchalant about going to see it. I think I just went with friends of mine who were interested because yeah. of the advertised violence. Um, well, sure. I think beyond Tarantino, unless you just count it as a even like more reductive trail down the chain from tarantino mm-hmm. is it, the, the marking of it made it seem even more like a knockoff of like smoking aces or something like that well, that sure, sure, but that's the tra- yeah, well, that's like, what yeah, i'm saying it's, um it's 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 tarantino into richie into carnahan into mcdonough so i didn't way. necessarily dislike it the first time i saw it but i was caught so off guard that i just did not know what to make of it in any mm-hmm. way whatsoever um well, and again, just, like I had a very, yeah. I had a very good time watching it this time. And I think I connected with it knowing it's like meta aware shtick mm-hmm. going in that I, that I wasn't aware that it was going to do the, the, the last time I, I had seen it. Um, you, uh, but I just can't believe I didn't, I, I've, I've watched it twice now. I just was not aware in any way whatsoever that there well, was a, it, a it redoes, it redoes the bit with Woody Harrelson where he's like pointing the gun at uh, Marty's head and Marty's like, okay with it. Like he, he accepts death and, uh, yeah. And, uh, that's like, you know, the, the higher power or whatever, but he does the same thing at the end with Tom Waits when he's like, yeah, come by Tuesday and kill me. And then Tom Waits is like, actually uh, Tuesday's no good for me. Yeah. Tuesday's no good for me. Should we do weights? Oh, let's, let's do weights. Let's fucking go. Uh, can I just say, I think if we're talking again about like, what does this bring? Like, I know Tom Waits is like often used as like almost a carny actor viewed as a carny act. That like <laughs> yeah. he, yeah. he is a very good actor, and like uh-huh. it's it, the the trick of him is that like you put him in these roles so people can be like, oh shit, it's Tom Waits, but he's always like actually like. <laughs> giving the movie so much elevation and like earnestness from the performance he mm-hmm. is indeed genuinely very gifted and yeah. uh also one of the greatest singer songwriters of all time yeah. like mm-hmm. a total genius in both fields sean tom tommy waits um this is probably the first time i've like ever like recognized tom waits as like an important figure 
Um, but I got to go with uh, Jim Jarmusch is a uh, down by law. Yeah. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's just. How many Jarmusch I, I, films is he in? Uh, he's two, right? No, he's in three. He's in because I forgot he's in. No, he's in four. Fuck. Yeah, no, he's in Coffee and Cigarettes. He's in Night on Earth, right? He's not in Night on Earth. He's not in that. He's not in. Night um, Night. he's in Mystery Train. Yeah, and, and he's. I forgot he's in Dead Don't Die. Uh you gotta remind me yeah. about that. Dead Fuck. Don't Die. Down by Ma. Law's like his first act, real acting role, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, well, it's Cotton Club. He'd already done Cotton Club. Yeah, yeah, but um, is he like? Does he have like a big role in Cotton Club? No, I don't remember him that much. Where he's the lead of. Yeah, no. With with Down by Law, he's like he's got to play like the um, like the 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 least criminal of like the criminals. Yeah. Um, so he has to be like smooth, but at the same time a bit like rough edge. And I like, I really love that bit in the uh in the prison cell where he does his radio uh yeah. exit lude. Um, I remember when I was when uh, when I was in acting and directing workshop, I did that scene, and I just <laughs> like I know right. Um, but like I think he's just he's so. I I just love how like adorable he kind of is. I mean, kind of a shitty person. So... He's yeah. so hot in that movie. <laughs> Love yeah. his hair in that movie. It's it's just such a nice little crystallization of the Tom Waits idea mm-hmm. too. Uh yeah, that's, you know, that's around the time he like hooks up with Kathleen Brennan and like becomes Tom, becomes Waits. Tom Waits. Yeah. Um yeah. Great. It's I like love the, that movie. It's the like, oh, this guy could have been a movie star if he didn't want to be like a weird balladeer. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean he really could have he's so good looking he definitely could have yeah. um, Connor, what you got i think a good drop <laughs> a good substantial um dumping into the tom waits mythology is his short in the ballad of buster scruggs so that's mm-hmm. going to be my pick as the prospector the the just cartoonish prospector out there hunting for gold Dude, that um, movie sucks. No, that movie's great, and Sean yeah. doesn't get a veto. Um, that movie so he sucks. Can't, he can't say jack shit. I'm fine. Um, yeah, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's to to go back to my old um uh my phone booth thing. Um, that if the thing works and it's entirely on one person's back as an actor, yeah, it it, it default has to be a great performance. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it just even more difficult to make it work. And I don't remember how long that short is, but it can't be longer than 15 minutes. It's like minutes. six Everyone hours long. Basically has no dialogue. It's, yeah. like, it's like six um, hours long. That short is good. <laughs> it's not the best short. Connor, rank the Buster Scruggs shorts right now. Oh, I can't remember the names of them. Uh, well, yeah, because they're not going to this one. <laughs> the best one is probably the one where they're on the trail. Like there's the troop of caravans and okay with the, the, Zoe the native one. american attack Zoe yeah Zoe kazan one um the worst one is the boy give me give me one second here um the second one i would say is the one with harry melling as the limbless okay um like freak show act yep uh then probably the one with the prospector sure then the one with James Franco. Okay. Then the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Then the Ghosts. Okay. I go Melling Neeson, easy number one. I find that yeah, transcendent. Honestly, I forgot about that one when I already named the other one. Yeah. And then when yeah. I said it, I was like, well, there it is. <laughs> yeah. I go Meal Ticket, Buster Scruggs, 
the Tom Waits one, the Zoe Kazan one, uh, the ghosts, and then Franco in last place. That's the one I don't really like. What I like about the Zoe Kazan one is that the Zoe Kazan one does feel like a story that was just pulled from like uh, sure. pulp magazine. Sure. Oh, it's not bad. Era. It's not bad at all. It's quite no, no, good. But I it's mean, like that one feels bad. that one feels the most like they were making an adaptation of a story that has existed since the 1890s yeah. or whenever you uh, say. Before we turn to the mics on, listeners, all three of us said that we had a, a feeling we might get vetoed. At some point oh, during boy. this episode. Well, I don't think I'm going to veto your Tom Waits uh, pick. My pick for the Tom Waits Mount Rushmore. It's the 1982 Francis Ford Coppola film, One from the Heart. Ooh, yeah. Let's go. Connor. <laughs> I'm not going to veto one, that. You've seen One from the Heart. Yeah. So I've, seen of, I've, I've 100%ed the, uh, the Coppola. That rules. The you're aware of what I'm doing here. I I am, but I, I was almost willing to do it even harder with the Rockwell pick. So, you know, yeah. I'm not um, going to veto it. Who, who was the what one were you going to do put, for Rockwell? I was going to pick a Broadway production. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Who was the one who put Fargo on the Ewan McGregor Rushmore? That was me. Yeah, I've oh, okay. never watched that show. <laughs> television um, television's allowed. You could you could put television's our, absolutely our music allowed. Videos allowed. Yes. Okay. All right. I cool. say so. Um, Connor yeah, no, disagree. I agree. So, yeah. listeners, if you've never seen One from the Heart, um, Tom Waits is technically appears on screen in One from the Heart. He has yeah. a cameo in one shot mm-hmm. in like a shot of a band. That's not what I'm picking. I like um, what you're doing because if we ever cover an actor that has also directed, now we can put directing. Oh, no, I don't think that counts. <laughs> no, no, no. The floodgates are opening. No, 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 no. That's yeah. not the case. That's not the case here. One from the Heart has an original soundtrack by Tom Waits. Incredible soundtrack. An incredible soundtrack. And functionally, what happens with One from the Heart is that it is a musical where instead of the characters singing on screen, um, you have Tom Waits and what is her name? Uh, Crystal Gale basically singing non-diegetic original songs on the soundtrack, right? That, like, that's the function yeah. that's going here. The case I am making yeah. here is that because those songs are meant to evoke the feelings of the characters, it is functionally narration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I And I so. think we could make the case that narration is an easy way thing to include on this. Well, oh, yeah. you could include voice acting. So, yeah, you could include voice acting. But I think because they're all original songs, because they're written for the characters, because a quick rewrite could even have this like Brechtian function that like Waits and Gale like walk on screen and like perform the songs mm-hmm. like in a song and dance number that the songs are only sung is still in performance that makes that movie as like staggeringly great as it is man yeah boy oh boy coppola was on one coppola that's, was a, on that's one. a fucking uh, masterpiece that's my favorite coppola movie um, <laughs> he was just like man how many how many uh coppola films is waits in three quite a few actually um, he's like, in rumble fish he's in one from the heart he's in uh, dracula because he Dracula. does pop he's, up in one from the heart he's, he's awesome in twix. dracula underrated he's movie in twix. twix he's in the cotton club uh, which that's a real performance. The, a lot of the others are just like cameos. Mm-hmm. He's in the Outsiders. He's in Rumblefish. 
Oh, man, I, I need Twix. to see the Outsiders. Mm, Twix is so good. Twix is um, awesome. But I do think that it's it's like this is not just like that they put a bunch of Tom Waits songs on the soundtrack. That like Tom Waits is playing a character vis-a-vis the singing in this movie. Yeah. And just yeah, because yeah. it's not an on-screen performance to me doesn't mean it's not a performance. And I, I think I, it's you like, can almost I mean, you're not going that far, but you can almost make the case for that film that his performance in that film is is almost more important than the on-screen. Well, that's actually what I was about to say is that I actually do think that is the case for him. Because that's what the film is so. constructed around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's going on the list. Um, and I oh, don't yes. think it's actually that big of a floodgates opening. Uh, well, with the case that you made, no. Yeah, but when yeah. when somebody brought up direct bring, putting uh, their directed movies on, I was like, <laughs> going off. I mean, I, I, I the, the 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 thing I was thinking of when I was considering this was like, would I balk at someone saying that Royal Ten and Bombs deserves to go on Alec Baldwin's Mount Rushmore? And oh, I don't no. think I would. And no. I think it's philosophically the same thing. Would the tar cameo make it on the Rushmore? Well, it depends on the person. Well, no, because it's not. No, actually, I don't think the tar cameo would because that's not an original performance. Sure, that's that's audio that they've lifted and are manipulating mm-hmm. and intercutting with with new Kate audio. Um, I'm not saying I would put Rushmore on uh, Ten of Bombs on Alec Baldwin's. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that like. I think it'd be a totally valid. Yeah, I think it sense. depends. I think it depends on the weight of the off-screen performance, like sure. how much of the film is actually tethered to that. Sure, and it depends on the performer too, as well. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. It's one from the heart. All right, um, what's number four? Yeah, uh, Sean's. Yeah, um, I'm afraid this might be a bit basic, but I kind of have to go with my heart, and it's licorice pizza. He's he's really good in liquor. Is, I was Is so I was so goddamn holding. <laughs> See, I that's mean, that's the one where the traditional Tom Waits impression is actually what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> he uh he and Sean Penn basically have to play like the 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 older generation of that movie. And every time I watch it, I just get so hyped when he walks through that smoke and uh he's just so funny, his like presence, like the long shot of them walking out into the field. He just brings this like gravity to the, it's like a Fellini thing going on where he but just like so he, good. He sums the room up in a storm. And he captures that generation so well in a way mm-hmm. that like, I, I personally, um, I don't think Penn does that. No. Especially when Penn no, is supposed the, to be willing. The thing with Penn is that yeah. he's kind of a, I mean, his scumbaggery is very like, obvious i would say just i don't i think like, the problem with pen is that the charm isn't there that you expect who well, wasn't pen a last second understand. replacement for someone Ooh, i don't know uh, i feel I like either. i remember reading that that um someone else had to drop out of the movie uh because of the covid stuff um i'm not aware uh, i mean I'm i might not, be i might be wrong i just I'm, remember <laughs> It doesn't um, say anything on the Wikipedia page. I mean, I mean you I guys already know like how much I love Sean Penn, so I yeah. feel it. <laughs> Sean Penn's I, I given good Penn's performances. I just fine. don't think it works in that film. In that movie. Yeah. but And I do think that he feels a little too modern. He he, um, he does feel too modern, and he's never he's never really carried that persona metatextually as well, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you need because the character's supposed to just pop in and be that person. 
immediately maybe if you maybe if the movie if he was in the movie for longer and you were able to as the viewer like acclimate to sean penn being that person within the film see but the thing i like about the performance is how uh how short it is like how we're talking about sean penn and not tom waits (laughs) (laughs) it's Um, a big no but like tom Tom waits basically fills out that other half where it's like you know the age the um the presence in this landscape that is like the it's in the valley, right? You forget that Hollywood was just populated by like Navy vets. Yeah, who were also <laughs> like, in movies. Traumatized na- Navy vets who. <laughs> that did like bit parts in movies, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, my my thing is also that like, it, it is such an interesting performance that Tom Waits is doing because Jack Houston is such like a famous impression. Mm-hmm. that people do all the time and he is instead like <laughs> locking into some like true inhabitation of Jack Houston without mm-hmm. ever actually doing any element of a Houston impression because uh, <laughs> that's who he's playing right yeah. we're not mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's Houston um I see so fucking good he's so good yeah he I should be doing movie. more shit like that yeah um he fucking anchored the trailer that's how good that performance is. He, That's I mean, true. Yeah. He's given the he's given the performance in that film that like Don Rickles gives in Casino. Yeah. You understand Ooh, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> God. Fucking Rickles in Casino. Um but yeah, he shows up in uh in Seven Psychopaths, he tells his story, he's one of the psychopaths, and then he's out of the movie until apparently I, I, I after he, the movie ends. Yeah, I gotta I go back and he, watch that. I think he just pluses those scenes is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. that like is it is he in the movie so he can be in the trailer and they can be like oh tom waits is in this movie yes but he also like brings a lot to the performance why don't we start picking off the other psychopaths the other storied psychopaths so the 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 big one is the quaker Harold psychopath Dean Stanton, yeah. played yeah. by uh, Harry Dean Stanton, favorite actor <laughs> of true. all time, <laughs> and revealed to be Christopher Walken Hans in in the movie. That it was a real story that he told Sam Rockwell. That Sam Rockwell then told Colin Farrell, mm-hmm. um, claiming it was like so, a fictional thing that he yeah, just made. Basically, up at the crux of the story is that it's this like mini short movie where like a Quaker's daughter is murdered. And the guy who killed her is so like, like consumed with guilt that he turns himself in, gets a life sentence, becomes like a devout Christian and ends up so thoroughly reformed that he ends up getting paroled for doing like a horrific murder. Um, And then as he tries to reach a society, he discovers that the father of this girl he killed is just following him wherever he goes so when we say harry dean stands in this movie we just mean that like harry dean stands just in the background of he's, a bunch of shots in he's a model movie. basically yeah, yeah he's basically I, a model you're just like I, using that fucking craggy ass face i love it's the- actually the reveal in this movie yeah. that hans is the quaker which doesn't really necessarily come as a surprise at any no. point yeah because no. um, you can see that the makes score. it work for me no but the reason the, it works the reason it works and the reason it matches McDonough's weird, like absurdist humor is because when it's revealed that it's actually a real person that's played by Christopher Walken and Marty's like, but you, the guy slid his throat at the end of the story. And then it cuts to like a shot of Christopher Walken in the ER with just blood, like splurting out of his neck. And he just doesn't know what to do. And he's like, yeah, I didn't die. 
Like I made it out somehow. And Again, like, that, that's badly, the moment a badly that, like, written kind of script. So, so the, 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 the story ends in this moment of like, this guy's like, well, I can escape the Quaker if I kill myself and go to hell. Cause yeah, a Quaker's going to go Quaker's to heaven. not going to go to hell. Um, yeah. And so he slits his own throat and then Stanton, slits his own throat as the killer is dying he watches the quaker slit his own throat too to meet him in hell so what i I love about the reveal that this guy is walking is that it turns out to be walking who is in this movie the like hard opposite of this like intense you know stoic guy because walking is you know, Walken gets cast in a lot of stuff to be, like, weird and intimidating. Yeah. And he's kind of just playing, like, an amicable stoner in this movie. Yeah, no, his um, big thing is he takes peyote yeah. in the desert, <laughs> and he's kind of a hippie. He, the, he, he's the, he, he starts the conversation about Gandhi, you know, one of the one of the dimmest uh, yeah. <laughs> pieces well, of dialogue in this movie. Well, here's my question. This man wasn't actually a Quaker, right? No, he was. Or was he? Yeah. The walking version the was also a Quaker. The, that's not something religious. that that's not Look, something that Rockwell well, just made up. No, this is another. So. Inter- well, this is another maybe interesting, maybe not interesting part of the movie. But when it comes to like, you know, writing, you know, a screenplay or any like sort of written piece of material, how much of it are you taking from your friends and yeah. stories your friends have told you, and the responsibility? Because in that. That scene's actually great because Rockwell, like right when he hears uh, Colin Farrell telling Walken the story, he just immediately starts like freaking out. He's like, ah, you don't need to tell him that. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's all fine. Um, and which then, is funny, the- which is hilarious because earlier in the film when they're at the party, Rockwell is kind of annoyed that Farrell's telling it to other people as though it's a story that he made up. Yeah. yeah. So to, to clarify, right. the shtick here is that Walken is Rockwell's friend. He only meets Farrell in like, 30 minutes into this movie. No, I Walk think it's implied in... that they know each other. No, no they, it's they, not. They, they don't. They, they meet, pointedly don't. They meet when Kevin Corrigan is holding Gets them killed. up. Yeah. Because he says oh. to him, son, I don't know you. I've never met yeah. you. But if you if have some pride in your faith and your Lord Jesus Christ and don't tell these motherfuckers a thing. And then, like, I thought Rockwell, he was like, just I no. thought he was just saying that I've never met scene you when they go to Rockwell's off. place and it's like the, the, the blood's theirs, the puke's his. Yeah. Uh, Rockwell like introduces them to each other. Gotcha, gotcha. Um but my point is that like this is a thing that happened to Walken that Walken tells his friend Rockwell that Rockwell like sexies up and tells to his screenwriter friend Farrell that Farrell is such a blackout drunk that he then thinks He's... it's an original idea he <laughs> conceived of. And he starts pitching it to his friends. And yeah. 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 Um, I I do think from an inspiration angle, though, I think that the, the smartest bit in this movie is right before Farrell like narrates the story vis-a-vis writing it down in his script. He's got this legal pad where he's like writing down the psychopath as he thinks of the psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And he's earlier said he has this idea for like a Buddhist psychopath, yeah. Yeah. but he doesn't <laughs> actually know what that's going to be. And you see him write down to the Buddhist psychopath. Crosses it out, writes Amish. <laughs> crosses that out, writes Quaker. And you're laughing, but this movie is like suffused with this sort of existential like question of like, yeah, is there life after death? Right? Like, mm-hmm. is there is there going to be a structured meaning to everything? And I think it's very interesting that Farrell, even in like this like blackout drunk state, before he's even had this like inspiration that he like maybe needs to change his life, which becomes. Mm-hmm the defining crux of that character 
You can see that he's searching for meaning because he ping-pongs between these three belief systems. And those are three fairly different belief systems. But what unifies all three is that they're fairly like extremist in a mm. way, right? Not extremist in like a political extent, but extremist in the sense of like how to live your life. You can you if you if you follow these tenets correctly, if you really give your life to this way of life, you know, Buddhism, Mennonitism, Quakerism, like you will become a better person via doing it. And there's something about him ping-ponging between the three of them as an aesthetic um, that I find such an interesting little detail, as well as a very funny joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, Connor, your least favorite actor of all time, as we know. Are we doing it? Yes, yeah, we have to do, do it. it. To clarify, Sean, Connor doesn't actually dislike Harry Dean Stanton. He dislikes I don't like one the Avengers. Harry Dean Stanton performance. Aggressive. Oh, you mean the, the number one uh, Harry Dean Stanton performance on Letterboxd? <laughs> okay, is but like, this is? is what I've said. This is what yeah. I've said. It's movie, not performance. Like that's how. Oh yeah, no, I get that. Thing. It's just funny every time I pull up Letterboxd yeah. and look at Harry Dean Stanton. I'm like, oh shit, he was. in It that. is the highest grossing movie he ever made. Like it's yeah. not that surprising. God, what do I do? I uh, I've been going with the obvious pick a bit too much. Okay, it's so easy. there's like no, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick something that's like very quiet, very very quietly moving, and it's very recent. But it's a uh, lucky. You guys see Lucky? I okay. never saw Lucky. No, but I yeah, everyone loved Lucky. Well, it's no, funny because like, it's for... like one of his leading roles. Yeah, no, it's one yeah, of his of leading roles. It's one of his two. last. I think it is his last movie, actually. Yeah, um, I think so. But like it, it really is like a pure statuesque, like Harry Dean Stanton performance. Because like the whole, the whole thing of the movie is like he's ninety six years old, and it's he's. This is actually interesting because like uh, the movie is basically about him like waiting to die, because he wakes up every morning. He does like his very simple exercises. He smokes like a pack of cigarettes like immediately. Hangs out with David Lynch goes to a doctor where his doctor tells him you're basically fine uh if you if you were going to die you would have done it already so like it's just watching harry dean stanton's face almost go through like a a john dillman like waking up in the morning doing his exercises again smoking is quite a big part of this movie um but like it's it's very I love, I love, I, we, me and Cole were talking about this when we talked about like a Barry Lyndon and Tar about like great movies about statues, basically. Great. And, like, great. Sorry, yeah, great. I got to put air you quotes great on a certain, quotations there. A certain, uh, a certain Stanley Kubrick movie there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I think Lucky is extremely underseen. I think it really is the cherry on top to a great actor's career. And uh, yeah, no, Lucky's my first pick. No, that that's great. I, I've never seen pick. it. I, I oh, you should. Cole, to. you'd love it. It's it's. Yeah. Just, do you know who directed it? It's uh, John Carroll Lynch, right? Yeah, yeah. The Zodiac Killer. <laughs> the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. The Zodiac Killer himself. Oh, the the other interesting thing when I said like um basically he's like waiting to die the whole movie. I think it's really funny that the <laughs> one of the first scenes that Rockwell and uh, uh, Farrell have together is they go to see a violent cop in the theater. Okay. The Catano film. Yes. Man, I thumbs down, but like I kind of respect it. <laughs> the king of making movies about waiting to die. Yeah. All right, who's next? Lucky is one of those films I'm, that like I'm happy I'm, I'm happy he was able to make this film before. He oh passed god, away. yeah. No, it's because so, yeah. It just he did so much work that it seems like 
nobody else wanted to do. And it's just, uh, you know, a, a, a true gift to like see him be able to do his thing. Yeah. Get the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a movie. I'm so fucking torn here, man. I'm just looking at it. Uh, I kind of want to actually like lob the ball to Connor, even though I know what Connor's about to do. So lobbing the ball wouldn't actually solve. It's like the Sutherland thing that we were talking about where his filmography, it's almost like you can throw the dart at the board. And you get a masterpiece. It on. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, and what's that's the- why Cole's going with Alpha Dog. I've never <laughs> we talked about this two weeks ago. I've never seen Alpha Dog. What the fuck is Alpha Dog? It's a John Cassavetes movie uh, that we will do on this podcast Monday. Oh, hell yeah. No, that's right. Nick Cassavetes. <laughs> yeah, to be clear. Like, oh, it's not a John Cassavetes. It's a Nick Cassavetes yeah. movie, to be clear. I was um, like, what fucking John Cassavetes movie was uh, Harry Dean Stanton in? I thought I saw all of them. Fuck. I, it is weird that he's not in a John Cassavetes movie, just like looking at this fucking it is stuff. Um, it's really weird he's... that he's not in Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Seems like yeah. it was like built for someone he's, like he's Harry so Dean Stanton. one from the heart. I could just yeah. do one from the heart again. Connor, I love Repo Man so much. <laughs> I don't think you understand. Like, is that where you're going to go? One of the great I films. Love Repo Man so much, and I love that Alex Cox gave Harry Dean Sandoval people like a fucking sexy movie star role, right? <laughs> where he just gets to be the coolest dude on the planet. And, yeah, like, that is true. Get all these great lines. So that being said, I'm going to go with uh, the Howard Deutsch film, Pretty in Pink. Ooh, okay. that's, that's awesome. The teen movie dad is a powerful lineage, right? Like, mm-hmm. at the crux of what makes a good teen movie good, I truly think is cast a good actor as the dad and give him, like, one or two scenes where they can, like, be really heartfelt. And who invented that? Harry Dean Sand. Harry Dean Sand, yeah. <laughs> in Pretty in Pink. And like, have, have has it been done better by other people? Maybe, but like, I just like that in this career where he worked with Alex Cox and he worked with Francis Ford Coppola and he worked with John Carpenter and he worked with David Lynch and he worked with Martin Scorsese and he worked with Ridley Scott uh, and he worked with Joss Whedon and he worked with Candy Moon <laughs> and he worked with Sam Shepard and Robert Altman and he's in fucking Wiseblood and he's in the only movie Nicolas Cage ever directed, right? This guy is just like this like serious character actor in like boundary pushing, interesting, bold movies. He also just gave like the kindest performance of all time as Molly Ringwald's dad in Pretty in Pink. Because mm-hmm. that's fucking Reigns right there, buddy. And like, yeah. have you, what was the last time you watched Pretty in Pink? It's been um, a while. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah, no, when I was a kid. But I mean, like, it's fine. No, the like, Harry Dean of... Stanton scenes are transcendent. Yeah, no, they're the, they're the only things I remember in the movie, basically. Yeah. Great pick. Yeah. I love yeah, that. I just, I just got to follow my heart. And that means not picking one from the heart, even though he's really good in one from the heart. Mm hmm. You you named like I know well, okay. I know I'm sorry he, he named all the great performances. I'll start this off I'll start this off because Sean said coming into this podcast that his goal was to get the first veto. Yeah. Um, Has nobody so, vetoed anything yet? No, but I'll give oh, okay. you. The, I almost Connor almost Cole. did once. He yeah. almost he came really close with with Ben Affleck. He made oh yeah you. If I if if Cole and I veto anybody, they have the opportunity to appeal the veto, yeah. and he made a very good case for it. After oh sure, 
after I did it. And I was also scared. I was also terrified (laughs) that if I went through with the veto, he would have picked something worse than the movie that he ended up picking. (laughs) So that did play a part in it. And Cole and I definitely- Which is funny because didn't Batman vs. Superman end up on that anyway? Because that was going to be my backup. So It literally did. And I was just at a loss. I didn't know. Well, we really the, the other thing we... was Sinesh was like, I don't cannot remember any other movie that you've been in. Other can, I, can I just say so, something, Connor? We really should have written those down somewhere. I just have in them. general. Have you them. have them all written yeah, down? I do. Yeah. Thank you. Send me that because I want to do something with it. Okay. Um, where am I going with this? Oh, we would have vetoed Justin Stillman had we invented the veto yet. But we had not at the time. Yeah. He was. Or, was yeah, that for the Justin Spielberg Stillmaker. one? Sorry. Yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg yeah. one was the one that incited the veto because we would have vetoed <laughs> Lost World or whatever it was. Lost World, a yeah. great movie, I will say. Um, fuck off. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. So okay, for that reason, it. I'm not going to make it easy on you, Sean. You can you can pick something that you want to get vetoed. Um, okay. And first, oh, I'm, God, Connor, do the right thing. I'm, I'm having disappointed. a back now. I'm disappointed that Cole named like every auteur of the last... 40 years, but didn't name Vim Vendors. So I'm I said Vim Vendors. Did you? It was one of the first ones I, I said. I did. I did. Oh. I've got to remember what I said. There's there a lot going yeah. on there. Remember I don't think I you I... named, I don't think you named him, but I'm picking Paris, Texas, and I think it's in the top 50 performances ever given. Do you remember when I said, I know easy. what you're going to do if I don't do it, so I'll just yeah. let you do it? Of course. It's yeah. 50 you're going with 50 best performances i'm being conservative (laughs) can i can i say something i mean i'll probably agree with you i'll probably yes maybe all time top 10 certainly if we're limited to english 10 a a million percent if we're limiting it to english a million percent yeah that movie is so fucking good i genuinely think about that movie all the time i do and too. i don't yeah. necessarily think about the filmmaking although the filmmaking is remarkable but i think yes. about his performance in that movie when i'm thinking about it all the time and mm. i just relate it to like all these little things these little events these experiences i have in my own daily existence and every single one is just making me think of paris texas nonstop. and and just that that persona mm. on screen and what comes across just uh, like the most subtle acting but powerful in ways that you can't describe almost. Fucking incredible can I, can I stick up for the filmmaking real quick? No, no, no. no. Like the filmmaking um, is incredible. But, but you I'm don't, you don't like, realize it until you watch yeah. it like the second or the third yeah. time. Um, and I just think. It has to be incredible. You can't have shots Robbie, like the one with the two-way mirror and all that stuff without the filmmaking Robbie Mueller, also being incredible. Yeah. Robbie Mueller, who is Dutch, probably delivered maybe the best ever depictions of Americana on screen. And he did them in Paris, Texas and in Repo Man, which are the same fucking year. And he <laughs> shot those things back to back, which is fucking insane. Oh my God. Um, and those so movies cool. look so different too. They do. Yeah, yeah. no, um, he is, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has talked that talked about this a lot, but he really is like the best DP for like night exteriors. Oh yeah. Like every, I mean, with with Paris, Texas, I think it's a bit obvious. But with Repo Man, I think every time I watch that movie and they're like the last like 20 minutes where it's all just like nighttime mm-hmm. shenanigans going from like hospital finding the car, it just looks so consistent and so real, which I yeah. think are the two things that really lack in a lot of like I mean, who the guy who shot under the silver lake is sort of a 
a second up, uh, a runner up to that, I would say. Because, like, oh man, the night scenes in those movies look great. Um, But just think of Paris, Texas as like, you get everything. Yeah. Right? Like, is there something an actor can do that he doesn't do in that movie? No, he has funny moments. He has dramatic moments. He has. He doesn't talk. He talks a lot. He's a a blank slate, too, which I think. He's a blank slate who feels like extraordinarily specific in every way. Mm -hmm. Like. He feels at at times throughout the film, he feels both pathetic and kind of like overwhelming. Yeah. And there aren't words for how good Harry Dean Stanton is in Paris, Texas. Um, the best translation of Sam Shepard's whole thing onto screen. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who loves Sam Shepard, um, and who's someone who thinks that the adaptation of the best Sam Shepard play that Stanton is in is kind of a whiff. Um, Paris, Texas is just fucking. Mm-hmm. Ugh, ugh. Do you like Sam Shepard, Connor? You I feel do. like you like Mammon enough that I feel like you might. How can I not like Sam Shepard when I'm constantly talking about Mamet and like Cormac McCarthy? <laughs> but Mamet, Mamet, even Michael Mamet, I like to some a extent. lot. Yeah, David Mamet, someone I have a lot of respect for as a person, but not as an artist. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> David Mamet, I like him a lot. He's kind of shitty, Sam Shepard. Like you figure that out kind of early on, yeah, or you don't, yeah. and that's a real which way Western man type of deal. Mm-hmm. Sean, I haven't. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's a uh... God. Why do god damn it? You have to pick if you if you if you want to pick the obvious one, Sean, you gotta pick the obvious one early. That's the game. Well, I mean, it's like, is that the game? The oh game man, it's complicated. There's such a fucking <laughs> yeah, it depends of, on the day. Like, like when it's I mean, just me and Cole, we tend to do the thing where we're trying to force the other person to pick a movie where they that they don't want to pick. Yeah. But, I mean, I have to pick Repo Man. Yeah. Like, I can't yes, pick anything yes, else. Yes, 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 And then part of the problem is when we I have mean, a guest, Cole and I are so scared that our mutual likes aren't going to get picked, that we have to kind of set each other up to get the one that we yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I can't, I can't, def- like, I mean, he's great in Last Temptation of Christ, which was my, I made, uh-huh. so here's what I did. I made top fives for basically every actor in Good. this movie yeah. that we're going to talk about. And I mean, unnecessary. You could have just done the top four. I, I I wanted to be prepared. Okay. <laughs> yeah, be prepared. No, um, I, I get it. And I mean, like, I could, I could. I mean, he's great in Last Temptation. He's great in Straight Time. Have you seen Straight Time? Never seen Straight Time. No. Oh, he's. Oh God. He, I mean, he's great in it, but he is shadowed by like Hoffman and uh, Nick Nolte. Um, great movie and great performances in both those films. But like, I mean, the the thing with Repo Man, and I've actually been thinking about this a lot is like he it's like 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 when you start a new job or something they're like the way he like communicates the dude who like takes you under uh his wing and just leads you on this uh journey into like this new job he basically plays every aspect of that character he's kind of a scumbag it's extremely <laughs> funny <laughs> kind of yeah. kind of yeah <laughs> he's extremely funny and he just like so many great lines. He did one some some of the best drunk acting, really. Yeah. Just like in his oh literally God. when he's yelling at the Rodriguez brothers out, out. Do I have him winning both acting Oscars that year? Keep talking. I'm gonna look this up. I mean, I just like I don't think I would be very 
disappointed in myself if I didn't go with Repo Man, a movie yeah. I've seen a billion times. Uh, I I love. <laughs> I love his last moments in the film when he's got the bandaged head, when he gets shot. It's just like, it's, it's so funny. It's so dramatic. It's just, I mean, it's, it's repo man. I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I, I can't. The best. I great pick. It. Great pick. Uh, probably movie. the deserving pick. Can I yeah. make a case for last temptation of Christ real quick? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think he's so the, <laughs> the thing is just when you're casting Harvey Keitel as Judas and David yeah. Bowie as um, Pontius Pilatus, you need someone like Harry Dean Stanton to kind of like carry it back <laughs> to like cement that thing. And, and are you anti Kaitel in Last Temptation? I'm no, I'm not, but I'm saying it wouldn't work unless you had okay. Someone do like we want to do, do we want to do because, a sub Kaitel well, no. Rushmore right now? <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the thing like, it wouldn't work if you went down I'm the traditional route of mind. getting like a Shakespearean actor in, no, in other no. roles on screen. You, you get what I'm saying? That's also the best scene in that movie. All right. We got to get Harry into... Um, we have yeah. to move into the other Quaker. Can I just never shout real quick, just because I'm assuming neither of you guys have seen this movie, so I just want to shout out this movie because this is like a painfully underseen movie. Alpha. Have you all seen Wise Blood? No. no I, I started it once, but never finished uh, it. <sighs> Wise Blood, late period John Houston movie. Mm-hmm. Um the only real Brad Dourif starring vehicle that isn't a child's play movie. Um, Harry Dean Stanton plays this like con artist preacher who takes Dourif under his wing. Um, he's like, it blind, is like right? a, well, yeah, he's, he's blind. It is like a, a, a dry run for the repo man thing. It's everything you said about repo man. Oh, as okay. like the kind of shitty veteran employee yeah. who teaches you these things like oh, he's just so good in that movie yeah, i think both trade. you guys would really like that movie too is why i I, I think i would love it i just i gotta check it out yeah. soon all right sean first walk and pick oh fuck off we're at walking now <laughs> we're at walking <laughs> we gotta do both quakers do we want to talk about just what walking does in the movie or yeah, let's get the do pick. that let's... first no do the do the do the movie first um, okay god i uh <laughs> Do you have a take on him in this film? Um, I think it's a very, I think it's a very like kind of normal performance. I mean, consider, I mean, like with all the picks I have for the Rushmore, it's very like reserved. I like that he plays a sort of like hippy dippy character. I think all of his like monologuing while on peyote is is quite funny. I love I love when he reads uh, Colin Farrell's script and he just gives him like you know the honest advice. He thinks it's terrible. Yeah. And um, I uh, just the the layers to his uncomfortability. You you missed the hospital scene earlier when you were doing the plot, like when yeah, he visits we his can wife. return we can return back to that. Well, then Especially we can also talk about Harrison. We're gonna have there. to talk about Har- Harrison um, as well. well. There's a lot of stuff happening. I like how he's able to suggest like his sort of nefarious backgrounds by the way he because after harrelson like kills his wife in the room there's that moment where he's walking out of the hallway and they pass each other and yeah. he knows that like if he walks into that room he's dead but the way he there are legitimate but... scenes in this film where he is doing real acting um, oh yeah I absolutely the um, thing with walking for me is my big take is like we're falling so well into the memification of christopher walken in this film it's still better than what happens to De Niro and Pacino and in, in their memefied oh. personas later in their careers? I um, I think this is the last real performance he ever gave. 
and probably the first real performance he had given in like 15 years. Well, man, I what wanna, are we about to see with Dune Part Two, man? What are we uh, about to see? He's in Dune Part Two. He's yeah. the fucking like emperor in the Dune yeah. universe. Yeah, dude, that movie's um, gonna suck. Because like, I it, think it, that's probably true that it's the last real performance, but I it does kind of feel like a quarter of a performance to me. I, yeah, because I want to disagree oh, with that. I, I don't think I can though. I'm on board with this performance. I think he's yeah. He's no, I think he's really good. Movie. I think he's really sweet. I just like compared to the stuff I have picked for the Rushmore. It's sure, like sure, but that's the movie to yeah, some degree. No, ab- no absolutely, yeah. Uh-huh. That's um, he's, like he's not in as him, good of a movie I, as he's been I, in before. I I think a great moment with him in this movie is when Colin Farrell per- first brings up the idea. Oh, let's go to the cops, and the cops will figure that out. And then Sam Rockwell and him, they look at each other and they're like, the cops? Fuck the cops. And then it cuts to this insert of walking and he's like, fuck them. <laughs> Just the lines. <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. I think it's, he's playing a real person. And I think the movie like fakes out by thinking that it's going to be the walk-in weirdness. Yeah. Because um, I mean, like his moments, the moments with yeah. his wife are very, very sincere. And I really like them. Not, I think I think they not got great 15 chemistry. years. I'm looking at his filmography. That's not it's not the only real performance he gave in the 21st century. There's there's mm-hmm. more. It's the last good one he ever gave. Yeah, no, oh he's my. given he's given other good performances yeah. in the 21st century. Dude, was, and I'm not even boys. saying when Holy when he shit. when he seems like he's on autopilot in this film, he's a good enough actor that it's not bad. Like yeah. he's not tanking what he's doing on screen. But it does there there I are don't think he's definite definitive moments in this film where I do feel like he's on autopilot. And a lot I, of I it, think he's locked in. A lot of it to me is like when he's kind of given some dialogue and it's just like say this funny, say it with the Christopher Walken voice. Yeah, well, like an eye for yeah. an eye makes the whole world blind. And then they're like, no, it uh, doesn't. I wrote this, I wrote it down, and I just oh, I just fucking closed that window. Shit. I wrote it down, and even having written it down, I don't know if I could possibly encapsulate uh how he says the word hallucinogens. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. Well, at the end of the movie, when they're like, put your hands up, and he's just like, no, no. no. And they're like, no. wait, why not? And he's like, no, I don't want it. And then that, that's, that's a big his. trailer line. That's not, yeah. also, that's not that's, doing anything transcendent. There. That scene, like, he's just doing Christopher a... Walken on autopilot. He's, well, he's being mean, allowed scene... to do the memification of himself. Right. Well, that scene was completely improvised, apparently. Sure, it's funny. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, like, it does feel like there's a maybe, maybe I was being a little too conservative it's maybe more like a third of a of a really good performance it's a, it's it's a yeah. whole of a really good performance I mean, he's really old so that, there's that too <laughs> i love christopher walken do you guys like christopher walken i yeah. love christopher I feel like walken. people don't take him seriously because of the whole christopher walken of it all sure uh, but that's other people's problem that's other people's problem it is weird he was I nice was when this, i met him i was having this like oh. shower thought recently uh-huh. He really feels like someone who should be like a Steve Buscemi type where you're like, man, it's bullshit that he's never been nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And instead, he like wins an Oscar super early in his career and yeah, kind of like yeah. coasts off that for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Such a good we should do the nope. uh, the Christopher Walken Mount Rushmore. Now, I would say that Mark Tilly is going to be very mad at us if we don't pick a certain movie. But Mark <laughs> Tilly doesn't listen to this podcast. He just shows up on it. Uh-huh. So go go to God, gang. Uh, number one. Right. Can I say it with you? Sure. Connor, do you want to say it with him, too? <laughs> okay. Right. Three, two, one. 
King, King of New York. York. All right, there we are. <laughs> um, that's awesome. <laughs> The other day we were talking and Connor was like, I mean, you know what my number one um, (laughs) pick is going to be for walking. And I was like, I don't know because you was pretty confused for a second. And then I saw it click in his eyes and he went, and then I was like, (laughs) well, no, you, 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 I don't know what your pick's going to be because you don't get to pick King of New York because Sean's going to pick King of New York. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. The greatest movie ever made. Um, Yeah, probably. That's the uh, quick, quick sidebar. I had a moment uh, a couple of months ago with some friends where we were talking about Quentin Tarantino and mm-hmm. all of us at the same time, like spurted out the same top three. So great moment right there. <laughs> sure. um, King of New York. God, I mean, like, he, like, have you ever seen the, there's like a, there's like a super cut of like uh, Abel Ferrara commentary stuff for no. King of New York God. online. Ugh. What? shoot me before i watch that (laughs) i mean just because like he he so effortlessly plays like the coolest person in existence i don't it's almost like it's almost like paranormal just every look is just like pure ice cold intensity and it's so weird that it's also a robin hood type movie yeah like the way he's able i think about the scene in the subway where he's able to sort of navigate uh, being a criminal who has to like flash his gun and a businessman who has to buy off all these like gangsters who are coming to rob him. And also just like looking cool for his girlfriend in the middle of this New York subway. And he barely changes. It's just so effortless. And like, he's just got so many great lines, so much like action in that movie that he's able to like do great with. Um, it's it's the best. It's it's King I mean, of New York. Is it the best crime boss performance of all time? Probably. I mean, is it oh. better than Pacino in The Godfather Two? That's a hard one. That's is a really it better than Pacino one. in think Carlito's so. Way? Well, it's maybe the it's birth not... of the modern crime boss. Yeah. It, it this movie is that that definitive line between the faux businessman who's involved in like illicit enterprise and the like hyper violent uh, kind of sociopath. Listeners, if you've never seen King of New York, Walken is so fucking cool in King of New York that fucking Biggie Smalls started calling himself Frank White, which is the name of the Walken crime boss in King of New York. Abel Ferrara, he has some things to say about that in the commentaries. (laughs) Well, Abel Ferrara is... Probably on balance a bad director, and he should maybe watch his mouth. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Am I up? Is it you are up. Me? I'm. I get to be. You. You said. You said for every type of thing, there's a number one best fan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. There has to. I. Be. Me. Get to be the Paul Schrader <laughs> fan, not you. So oh, I'm picking the comfort of strangers. Ooh, I told you I was gonna do that as a fake out, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. Seen that. I've never seen that movie. I do oh. think it's probably his second best performance. And it, I think it's probably his third. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm. You, you're. You're very content to be so wrong. Um, I'm not. I appreciate wrong. it though. I'm, I'm interested to see He's what the. the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong. He's so good in it. Yeah, he plays like a sadomasochistic. Uh, 
aristocrat living in venice he's not the, he's not the <laughs> i don't lead, know what you right? need other than that no but he's like sucks up all the oxygen in that movie yeah oh okay um there's something that that is the best casting of christopher walken as the meme even if it's earlier yeah. because he shows up and he's so cartoony and over the top and you're like what the fuck is up with this guy? I'm getting so many bad vibes from him. <laughs> and then Christopher Walken, the actor, spends the whole movie like disarming everything about that first impression. Only for spoilers, the first impression to be, to be correct. Right. Yeah. This guy is incredibly dangerous and nightmarish. Awesome. Um, and he's just Connor. wearing the same like white linen suit yeah. every time you see God, him. I need Sean, to watch it. But... Sean, yeah. I want you to summon a mental image is the wrong word. A sound in your head. Yeah. Christopher Walken plays an Italian aristocrat no. in the Paul Schrader movie, The Comfort of Strangers. God, He's I need to, Italian. I need to watch this now. Yeah. You've never seen it, Sean? It's I've good. never seen it. I think it's the highest rated or the the, the highest thing on Letterboxd. Every Paul Schrader movie. The highest thing on Letterboxd for Did you hear Cole that did he hear hasn't the news? Seen. Oh, that he hasn't seen. That the movie is done? Oh, Canada? Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about it on the last recording. Hell yeah. Oh my you god. You were right, by the way, Connor. Your guest was right. Paul Lordy is playing Jacob Lordy is playing young um Richard Gere in that movie. That really throws me off. Like I'm that's not good. That's, I'm not scares me. I don't have stock in Jacob Lordy. So I just uh, I'm there it's... there are three movies with Jacob Lordy that I'm going to see that are coming out very soon, and all three of them I'm very scared of. Yeah, me too. Wait, you guys don't watch third? you got do Sean, do you watch football? No, I'm not a sports person. And Cole doesn't watch football, but the quarterback of the New York Giants looks very similar to Jacob Elordi. And I don't even dislike the guy. I think he's a pretty gifted football player, but when the Giants are getting blown out, he always looks like he has brain damage and really messes with my take when I see Jacob Elordi on screen. I'm like, oh, we have brain damage, Daniel Jones uh, getting choked out by Ben Affleck in a swimming pool here. What were you saying, Cole? What's the third? Um, the three Jacob Lordy movies. It's uh, O Canada, yes. it's Priscilla, yes. and The Sweet East. He's in the fucking Sweet He's in The Sweet East. I don't <laughs> want to watch The Sweet East. I want to see The Sweet East tomorrow. It doesn't I don't that- like Nick Pinkerton. Nick Pinkerton is annoying and sucks. <laughs> Um, you were in. The, you didn't. You get you, ninety you speak minutes to us of and you were there. You were there I, I, yeah. I've heard some gossip about him though from other members of our cohort. Oh, really? Though um, the thing about the Sweeties is that everything about the Sweeties looks like the best movie of all time, and then you're like, and it was written by Nick Pinkerton, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, so a sixty year old guy who likes to pretend that he's part of Dime Square just yeah. wrote a fucking <laughs> knockoff private picaresque. They keep pitching yeah. it as a picaresque oh. novel or something or um, movie. Again, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm very scared. This is a this Can is a I, sidebar. Let me but... make a final case for walk-in in the comfort of strangers. He's great at the comfort of strangers. There's no case to before be... you move on to the next bit. Yeah. My 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 last my last case for it is that I'm typically against elongated portions of films just being characters giving a monologue. But in this case, his monologue is so enthralling and just like gives him so much development as a figure on screen that mm. it's like fundamental to why that he movie also works. Delivers it four times. Yes. Not oh, not wow. in full, but like he keeps giving the same monologue and you realize that he's rehearsing it. Oh, so good. Okay. I need to see this movie now. All right. Who's up now? 
Cool. Your boy, okay. your boy, cool. Okay. Did you have say? Did Did you want to say something about the Sweet East or no? Or it's like... <laughs> so Jeremy O'Harris is in the Sweet East, the playwright guy uh-huh. Rosola. Um, I don't know if you guys fucking saw this today, but he was doing he was doing the Q and A with Hamaguchi after Evil Does Not Exist oh, at New York yeah. Film Festival, and he asked Hamaguchi if he had seen the Bear, and I'm like, you got Rusuke Hamaguchi up there, you asked me to fucking watch the Bear, Jeremy O'Harris. Um, oh my god, I do not like the movie I'm about to pick. I don't think it's good. I oh, want to get it. that out there because there is a like slow but increasingly vocal simmering group of people who like to identify this not just as a great movie but as like secretly ex-director's best movie and i don't think the movie works so i just want to say i'm not one of those people i think those people are tryhards because the movie's kind of like an undercooked first idea it just happens to contain like a fucking scorched earth barn burner christopher walken performance um I refer to the 1982 Jonathan Demme TV movie. Who am I this time? Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen this? No, no, I'm aware of that it, movie. You're aware of it. Yeah. There's a there's a large contingent of it. People saying it's like the secret best Demi movie, which is ridiculous. That's nuts. Um, but it's a it's a movie of the week. It's like an American Playhouse thing, right? Um, it's it's based on a Vonnegut short story. It is a Christopher Walken Susan Sarandon rom com. Where, okay. yeah, right. So first, you're already kind of cooking there. And Directed like, by Jonathan Demi and based on a Vonnegut but, short story. But does it actually kind of work? Because it's like 50 minutes long and kind of undercooked. Okay. But the mm. conceit of the thing is that Christopher Walken lives in this small town, and he's like very well known in the small town because he's like the star of the local regional theater company. And he's this like incredibly exciting dynamic actor who can just play anything and deliver any part. And when he's not on stage, cannot get a word out to anyone is the most like introverted, meek, shy person. So again, you get this like full range of sweep with Walken where he's giving these like doing Shakespeare, doing Miller, you know, just giving this like full Sturm and Drang weight that I feel like he never gets to be as an actor otherwise. And then also playing it as like, A, you're seeing that he's playing a guy who's acting and B, that like there are these literal visual transformations he makes from like the meek real person to like the, you see like the flower blooming on screen in such an interesting way. Um, It's just a lovely performance. And it's like showcases a like dramatic range from walking that he clearly can do so effortlessly that mm. he's never been asked to do in like anything else. Yeah. I would like yeah. to see it. Now. And I, I, I truly think that performance is so good that it has like tricked people into being like, this movie is a masterpiece when the movie is <laughs> not very good. I was aware of it only as a Demi, like made for television movie. I had no yeah. idea that Susan Sarandon what, was also, what was it. the yeah. name of it again? Who am I this time? Okay. I'll look for it. The conceit being that, like, he keeps transforming into different people. It's very easily streamable, to be clear. I think it's okay. probably, yeah, on it's probably on YouTube or something. Um, a lot of those were on YouTube. And it's an out, it's yeah. 50 minutes long, right? It's short, it's sweet, and he's just fucking next level good at it. Mm. Um, yeah. Sean, bring us home. Number four. Yeah. I got so my issue is do I pick another able ferrara movie if you do you're or in do trouble I pick, or do i pick my actual number two you pick your actual number two 
Um, you know what? Funny. Yeah. You should just do because, it just to get the so, veto. Well, like the so I saw this movie. Veto. I'm not gonna get a veto for this one. It's too good. Um, <laughs> I'm saying pick the other one because Cole, Cole veto it. <laughs> oh God, I came in here wanting to get a veto. Uh, we still no, got Woody Harrelson. We still got Woody Harrelson, and I got a dangerous. I got some dangerous stuff for Woody Harrelson. Uh, we can so, always do Jaco Avonic. You gotta put that'd a fire. Be, Man, he you can put anything on there. He just disappears in the movie. <laughs> um, so I saw this. Uh, I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid. And it was sort of floating in my memory. It was just memory hold for a while until some friends of mine told me, no, it's actually great. You should go see it. But uh, I saw a, it was during December. I saw a 35 millimeter print of Batman Returns. And holy shit that he is insane in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, that is in that movie. every literally every line he delivers got like a huge laugh from the audience yeah. and i was like he, he was like just the the hair the fucking he, max max track right that's his max Shrek. god just completely like let loose in the most like on unhin- i don't know you're more of a tim burton expert than i am cole but like that movie is just unhinged on so many yeah. levels. So is it that one's also so interesting because I don't know if you know this, but it was supposed to be Billy D. Williams. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Do you know this, Connor? No, I didn't know that. So it's supposed to be, but he he already is in the first one. That's exactly what it is. So it's supposed to be Harvey is, Dent. So Sean, I don't know if, how long it's been since you've watched Batman, the the oh, first one with Jack even Nicholson. longer. No, yeah, bad movie. But Billy D. Williams plays Harvey Dent in. Batman in Batman. Yeah, Harvey Dent that. obviously is Two Face. Uh-huh. Um, when Tim Burton wrote the script for Batman Returns, Max Shrek was Harvey Dent, and the idea was that he was a corrupt DA. He wasn't like a businessman. He was a corrupt DA, uh-huh. and him getting electrocuted, walking getting electrocuted at the end of the movie was supposed to be um, the Harvey Dent getting too. scarred in whatever way that he could then. Oh properly okay. be two-faced in the third one yeah. and warner brothers when they realized that's what was happening said no black two-face which say what you will about tim burton and tim burton like only casting white people in movies is tim burton tried very hard on three separate occasions to have like early in his career movies be about black characters because he wanted Billy D. Williams to be Two Faced in Batman Three. He very famously cast Marlon, I think, Wayans as Robin in Batman Returns, and the studio made him fire Marlon Wayans before they even started shooting. Oh my god! And then Still obviously got profit participation. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Marlon Wayans got a huge payout for it because it was a total fucking action job. And then obviously he wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to be Beetlejuice. So like, oh, I didn't know that there is a secret like early in his career, Tim Burton, like constantly getting told no by studios when he tries to put black people in his movies. Um, I don't know if that excuse the rest of it, but um, my point being that it is kind of like the ultimate walk and wacky performance because yeah. it's like filling a hole that is suddenly made by the studio interference yeah but he's so fucking good no i mean like <laughs> so much fun sometimes like cartoony performances can rub yeah. me the wrong way and like this one just it well, it makes that, me cackle so much that movie's a cartoon 
Yeah. That's what's good about it is that yeah. it's so divorced from reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. The yeah, only problem a... with that performance is that it's the third best performance in that movie. That, I mean, I'm not going to say it's better than DeVito or, or uh, Pfeiffer. Or Pfeiffer, yeah. Yeah. No, he's... Oh, absolutely. But yeah. this is the I... I love at the end when uh, it's reve- it's revealed uh, who Catwoman is to him. Yeah. And he, uh, he's like, you're fired. <laughs> Audience went fucking mind, wild. I did not come in with like a top five like you did, Sean. Yeah. But I did have five performances rattling around in my head. Yeah. Two of them you guys picked. And then I was left with three to consider. I went with, uh, what time is it? Uh, who am I this time? But uh, Batman mm-hmm. Returns was undeniably one I was considering. Yeah. Sean, what Ferrara film were you considering? Uh, the Addiction. Okay, yeah. He's he's a lot better in that than he is. He in, he, in he that, walks in that Rose movie. Hotel. He Ugh. fucking spits. He's yo, he's better in that than he is in fucking New Rose Hotel. <laughs> the worst performance he's ever given. No fucking that, no, shit, that performance Connor. is great. That movie's Ugh. awesome. Oh. Um there was a part of me that I was like if I don't have the addiction on here, I'll put New Rose Hotel. I would um, the problem with the, the addiction, and I know you haven't seen The Comfort of Strangers, but he's so much yeah. more vampiric in The Comfort of Strangers. Yes, that is so good to hear. I okay. mean, we we've already like he's essentially about, playing a vampire in that. He's movie. essentially playing yeah. Countess Countess Bathory in The Comfort yeah. of Strangers in a, yeah. in a weird wow. sense, okay. almost yeah, yeah, in um, a way that like I'm not saying like no one bathes in blood in that movie, but like it makes sense if you clock. The problem with the addiction is that it sucks and is obvious and is bad. And um, Larry Fessenden made that movie, but good the year before. Uh, Connor, doesn't Connor doesn't uh, agree. Connor doesn't agree. Habit. Habit. Connor doesn't agree. Okay, Why didn't we put that. Habit on our Vampire One, dude? What, what was our Vampire One again? John Roland. Bright Night. Friday Night. Thirst. Thirst. And, oh, dude! Uh, only lovers left alive. Fascination I'm, and only lovers left alive. Yeah, I'm gonna see a print of thirst. Are you going to that, Cole? No, oh, okay. I'm busy. I'm. I'm I gotta. Busy. I gotta. I gotta count my right. my my available screenings for that. Before we um, move on to Harrelson, I will. Leave we should you with probably this talk about antidote. the movie Seven Psychopaths. At some point. Uh, <laughs> well, what about uh, Olga Kurilenko? She, does, the- she cannot have a Mount Rushmore. She's she's only been in like three good. She's only given three good performances. She's only given one good performance. <laughs> well, let, let, let's say that then. So there were two high profile female characters in this movie. They're yeah. by Abby Cornish and Olga Hirlika. Yeah. And neither one of those is an actress I particularly like. Abby Cornish has given one incredible performance, but I kind of attest that more to Jane Campion mm-hmm. than Jane. Which one? Bright Star? Yeah. Yeah. No, what? Fucking three billboards. What do you think? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if you were just gonna like pull Limitless out of your ass or something um, like that. You, you can't do tell me like she's sometimes. in Limitless. Is the, the problem the, the Olga Kurilenko <laughs> scene in this movie is probably my favorite scene in the movie. I really, just, that the or the Olga Kurilenko scene? That or the the fantasy shootout at the end. Uh, oh, that scene's horrible. Oh no, I love that the scene. The fantasy it's so scene funny. is the worst scene in the movie. The Kirilenko scene is the scene where I like clocked what this movie was doing the first time I saw it. Oh, and I remember bursting out laughing. What's your favorite scene in the movie? Me? Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene in this movie? I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is um after Walken has died and Marty picks up the tape recorder and yeah. it's Walken's yeah. version of the Yeah, the that's Vietnamese. it's that's... really fucking good. Yeah. It's really fucking good. Um <laughs> I love the shot in that scene where he's walking to his village and then it cuts to the wide and it just says my lie. Yeah, yeah. and um, the graves are in English. Yeah. For whatever um, reason. I 
I really like the scene where they're driving out to the desert and Colin says, what if I just wrote a movie where this, the, the, the first half was just a pure setup for a revenge movie yeah. and then they just left and talked for the rest of the movie. But I don't know if I like that scene because that scene is good or if I like that scene because I want that to be the second half of the movie and I think it's cowardly that the movie doesn't deliver on that. Yeah, it it, it fakes you out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, two, I two agree. women in this I do, movie. I do feel like this movie steps up. It, it uh, I can almost guarantee it would be one of my favorite movies if it actually followed through with yeah. what Colin said, like, and oh then one, of, and then like all of a sudden one of the female characters come back and then become like an integral part yeah. of the ending of the film, it literally becomes like one of my favorite movies ever made. You have, you have two, you have these two yeah. women in this movie. I said early on that the trailers tried to sell them as like leads of the movie when they aren't. No, they're yeah. just there. I think every shot of Kirilenko in the movie that isn't her dying is in the trailer. Cornish is all over the trailer too, even though she's barely in the movie. Cornish mm-hmm. is Colin's girlfriend. Kirilenko is Harrelson's girlfriend. Cornish is just there to be this like bitchy shrew who yeah. everyone can tell to fuck off. And is this like horribly written, like misogynist character. Kirilenko mm-hmm. literally exists just to die. Like, yeah. She shows up. She's in a she bikini. To, she looks hot. She I was gonna say she head. has to get fucked first, but no, yeah, she, she has to. Well, well, well yeah. he, he can't do it because he can't yeah. get it up. Great shot of Sam Rockwell holding a common a condom, all limp. And stuff there, like that. Then there is later a scene in this movie where Christopher Walken reads the script that Colin Farrell has managed to write at some point. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> We're drifting into metaphysical territory here. I I don't care about the logistics anymore. And his main point is like, your women characters, are your terrible. women characters have no interiority. They just exist to look hot and die. He's like, well, that's and nature like, of women. <laughs> look, and, and and Colin gives him this bullshit basically. That's like, well, he literally it's, it's, says it's like a, it's, it's the, a hard world for women. It's the thing people always say when critiqued about it. It's like, no, I'm actually making a movie about misogyny. No, you aren't. And, <laughs> and Christopher Walken completely identifies that. Now, here's the thing. If that was just a scene in this movie, right? Because I've seen in Bruges, and we talked about this, Connor, when we talked about in Bruges, that like Melanie Laurent is incredible in Bruges, but that's a terrible character, right? Yeah. Like there's nothing on the page. She's just giving a really good performance. Yeah. She is just like an object for Colin to woo. If that is just a thing that they start talking about in a movie that has only male characters, I buy it as earnest self-critique on behalf of McDonough. Mm-hmm. I don't think you get to have the horrible Cornish and Kurolenko characters and then call yourself out on your own bullshit, especially mm-hmm. when you then have this later fantasy sequence that like I get is a joke, but like when fucking Rockwell is describing the like big shootout that he wants to happen at the end of this movie, you see like Cornish show up and just it's raining out. and she's not wearing a bra. So she's she just has a white topless. shirt. And then she gets like dramatically shot in slow motion. So her breasts are like jiggling in front of the camera. And I'm it's like riddled with gunfire. Yeah. <laughs> it's not actually clever though, Martin, you get that, right? You don't get to like the call problem... yourself out on your bullshit. If you're still doing that bullshit. The problem is that all of these actors or characters, maybe not Marty as much because uh, because of his writer 
stance he, he exists like outside most of the action that's happening but mm-hmm. when you're talking about harrelson when you're talking about rockwell when you're talking about uh a walk-in and kind of how their characters act they have agency into like how they're being represented within the film and they do things that are like uncharacteristic that goes against that hollywood-esque depiction that rockwell keeps bringing up of like this is what people want when they go to the movies Mm -hmm. they want big shootouts epic violence happening around them and then that's all fine and dandy but the female characters at the movie is like self-conscious of hollywood not giving agency to even in this film they don't have agency of like how they are represented within yeah it's it's a more interesting movie if there aren't any women in it Walken choosing to be a pacifist, Harrelson showing up at the end like without a gun and just the flare gun. Like those are things that go against that yeah. the the Billy Bickle esque version, the Hollywood of this. dream. Yeah, basically. yeah. But then you have Abby Cornish. You have the film be like, this is kind of stupid that Abby Cornish shows up without a bra on just to get blown apart with squibs. But, but then Abby Cornish never actually gets to show up in the film yeah. later on to offset that. And be a character, yeah. absolutely. And, and like, it's even worse with Kirilenko because Kirilenko, in the reality well, of the film, just I'll, gets shot with squibs. And well, then I'll give I'll give that scene yeah. a little bit of credit because she does when she learns that uh, Billy has like kidnapped the dog. Her first response is, you know, give the dog back. You're fucking crazy. I'm gonna call my boyfriend right now. Yeah. So. I'll give it a little bit of it. She does exist mm. to just die, but she is sort of like calling this guy out on his insanity. And I will say, I think McDonough is earnest in the self-critique, even if I think he like half-asses it. Oh, I yeah, do yeah. think it's earnest because for all that it sucks and doesn't do it well, Three Billboards is this like clumsy attempt to like grapple with the patriarchy and sexual violence. And mm-hmm. then the fucking like heart and soul and the reason why yeah. Banshees works is because he finally figured out how to write like a female character with like real interiority right like, which is why in those interviews he said he d- like looking back I, on it he yes. doesn't necessarily like seven psychopaths so much because he's still he's still figuing out how to do the things yes. he wants to do in but his I, scripts I, I think the way he presents it and the way yeah. he uses this like kaufman-esque ideas as a shield is very unearned and cheap in a way yeah. i do feel like a lot of the meta stuff in this movie is very like have your cake and eat it too you know and if you want to make the yeah. comparison like, the kaufman films don't necessarily have those issues in the same way well the kaufman do. movies have problems with women but in a way that is like honest and interesting yeah. right like we can talk about the misogyny of charlie kaufman movies all day but like that's because Shirley Kaufman is working through some shit in those movies, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're, th- those movies are—it's well, a completely quote, different beast. Well, to quote Walken, the women in those movies can string a sentence together. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like those movies are about misogyny, even if the misogyny it's about is the lens of the movie. Mm-hmm. In a way that this movie is not. This movie just does shitty female characters. What's your what's the good uh, Karolinko performance? that you think of cool well, you know what it is i know i think i know what it is, is it does it is it a certain movie that has daniel craig in it it's, it's, a, it's a it's a bad movie i'll just make that clear do you craig not think movie. she's good in a uh, death of stalin 
I don't remember oh, wait. that she's in Death of Stalin. She is she's in Death of Stalin. Like, um, I'm aware. I see that on her filmography. She's like the conscientious uh, cello player, I think. Yeah. I the... have no memory of this performance. He doesn't want to play for Stalin's funeral or something. Yeah. or something. I have no memory of this performance. I'm sorry. Uh, wait, Cole, you're not picking Vampire Academy? She's bad in Vampire Academy. Interesting. Yeah. That's the one. No, Vampire Academy like... fucking rules. I've never seen it. Uh, but she's no, it bad sucks, in Vampire but Academy. She's great in it. No, that movie's incredible. The and movie's she's bad. Really the movie's boring. No, uh, her good her good performance is so clearly Quantum of Solace. Yeah, that's a fucking incredible. Um, she's good. She's good though. In Probably Death Stalin, a top five opinion. Bond girl. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, that might be my favorite uh... Bond actually. It's not Jesus my Christ, what's going on here? <laughs> okay, let's well so, so we so can't do this again. She, like, we can't do this again. She fucking like gets like the bonus of they walked into that movie and they were like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a Bond girl that Bond didn't fuck? Because that's the first and to date, I believe, only the second Bond girl that Bond does not sleep with. Um, the second being Judy Dench in Skyfall. Um <laughs> I, but you're right she's the bond girl in skyfall yeah you're right (laughs) um but so because you're like going into this and being like well maybe for once they should be a little more than just fucking arm candy like they like give that character a level of like depth on the page they give her a horrific backstory too that like most bond girls don't get so i don't even know if it's necessarily like Kurolenko is elevating stuff. Like, I think a lot of the other really good Bond girl performances are the actress elevating things. I don't necessarily know that that's the case with Kurolenko, but she's so exciting and fun to watch in that movie. And I don't think I've ever liked her in anything else. No, well, you get to see her, like, I mean, she has this whole, like, revenge saga that she kind of goes on, which is just, like, I mean... I've, I've seen quite a bit of Bond movies, but I don't think I've ever seen a Bond girl do shit like that. Well, the, the, the mm, big Michelle obvious... Mich- Which one's Michelle Yeoh? The, the big obvious touchstone for uh, me Tomorrow is, Never Dies. Yeah, oh, okay. Is Carol Bouquet in um, uh, For Your Eyes Only, which is a oh. similar thing where, like, she's the quiet protagonist of the movie because yeah. it's, like, her revenge story is, like, the anchor that Bond's just, like hanging on to but bouquet is like so boring in that movie that i like a lot and like kurolenko is so like makes the case better than halle berry does for getting the spinoff oh connor who's your favorite who's your favorite bond girl of all time all time time. i like the vesper lynn performance yeah i know that's your answer it's i don't want that to be my answer um Probably Pussy Galore. I don't know. Boring. <laughs> Sean, who's your favorite Bond girl? Uh, I mean, probably Olga Kurilenko. Yeah, honestly. Okay. You guys are insane. It's so fucking obviously Diana Rigg. I like can't handle oh, that you're naming yeah. you movie is that? Diana Rigg. <laughs> on, her Majesty's, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Tracy man. Bond, his one true love. <laughs> I, I I know how that movie ends. I haven't seen it in a while. Well, um, I missed a print of it a while ago. Uh, you know who the second best Bond girl is, though, Connor? Who? Who's the second Fucking best? Sophie Marceau is Electric King in the world. No, is not no. That's a great, actually, yeah, I like an that incredible one. performance. No, no. 
He's he's a great. Uh, there are only actress. there are only two Bond performances I would Bond girl performances I would nominate for Oscars. Bad. One is Diana Rigg, and the other is Sophie Marceau. In the world Stop is not it. enough. Stop uh, it. Best supporting actress nominee from this guy for the year nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the other ones. Um, um what yeah. about uh who uh Ava Green and Casino Royale? That's yeah, Vesper that's what Lynn. he said. Vesper yeah. Lynn. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know he was oh. going to say that. Yeah. No, no fans okay. of Leia do. Not really. No, I actually, I, I yeah, we've talked about the, it my biggest mic. issue with those movies. Yeah. Yeah. we've talked about it on mic is that it just doesn't work. What about Severine from Skyfall? No, Ooh, one of the like. <laughs> I'm, one joking, of the I'm, worst... joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I wasn't being serious. So you've 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 made some noises, Connor, that indicate to me that you don't like the world is not enough, a top tier <laughs> Bond movie. <laughs> is that fair to say? Um, I like, I like Brosnan in that movie. I it's and it's one of else? the better Brosnan performances. Who else do you like in that movie? Who else do I like in that movie? I assume uh, you don't like Sophie Marceau, even though she's incredible. Is that the one with Sean Bean? No, that's no, 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 that's cool. There's oh, okay. another Bond girl in the world. That, is not enough. No, why would I say I like that one? That's like do the epitome like of a bad one. The performance Denise Richards gives is Christmas, Christmas Jones. Jones in the world is not enough. No, no, no. no. She's fucking great, is what no, she no, is. No, no, no. Let's move on. It's pretty love great. Denise Richards. We Denise Richards, unheralded actress. Mm-hmm. We gotta get out of this. <laughs> um, Woody Harrelson is in Seven Psychopaths. He's trying Harrelson. to get his Can we talk back. about the movie at some point? It's my only question. We've talked about it. We've talked I mean, about the like the the. We've talked about it's perfect it's perfectly metatextual enough to talk about the stars of a movie that's about let me just say this because we we've like so drifted past this and we're getting to woody harrelson i think harrelson's fine in this movie yeah um it this performance makes a lot of sense when you realize that he's a last second work replacement Mm -hmm. um in that it's both a little undercooked and it's so broad in a way that like i think suits rourke more than harrelson um, I find all the dog napping stuff to be so fucking Guy Ritchie light, annoying <laughs> bullshit, you know. And I get that that's the joke. Yeah, but I just I find it so tiresome. No, it's a it's a really bad half cooked like screenplay yeah. idea, just like every other bad half cooked screenplay idea in this movie. But wouldn't it be more interesting if the existential stuff like showed up earlier in the movie? If you're not actually uh, gonna do the big break and have the second so. half just yeah. be fucking Jerry, um, oh, you're talking my language now. <laughs> I've never fucking seen Jerry, but you get what I'm saying, Sean, right? Yeah, like, the movie dangles that idea in front of you. Well, that'd be a more art housey movie, sure. But if which, you're not gonna do that, yeah, don't you want the like walls to start breaking down before the 50 minute mark? Well, the re the reason. I keep comparing, or part of the reason why I keep comparing it to Kaufman is because in adaptation, like the first half yes. of the movie is him trying to figure out how to make a movie that doesn't fall into conventional Hollywood portrayals yes. of this type of thing, and then realizes he can't. And then the second half of the movie is a conventional Hollywood portrayal of this like dynamic that's going on. It's only really the last like 30 minutes. Yeah, but it feels like two halves of the film yeah. because the last 30 minutes has so much propulsivity to it i mean can, the I, first can, half I, doesn't. can i make my case for adaptation that i think people miss about the trick that adaptation pulls sure yeah the thriller stuff in adaptation is like good 
Uh, like you know, I you think, think yeah, no, yeah. you think it's shitty because the movie spent an hour telling you it's shitty, but it's well executed. You and the performances are all like really exciting. It's not that the movie tells you for an hour and a half ahead of time that it's that it's going to be shitty, but the movie's telling you that people don't want to see that anymore, yeah. or that like it's dumb and it plays down to the least common denominator. Yeah. And, then it happens and you're like, oh, this is why people like watching this stuff. And then the Robert McKee shit is like, he's right. This yeah. is why people like watching it. Mm-hmm. This is why it makes sense. Yeah. But I, I I think that stuff in adaptation, and especially like the fucking Cooper and Merrill performances, when they fucking get to like go off the chain at the end yeah. of adaptation, is much better than the fucking dog napping shit in this movie. Like I, I don't know. I I, I think with adaptation, I've the last time I rewatched adaptation, I kind of was very lukewarm on it. And it is because of that, like just who want, who wants to see this in a way. And I'm sitting there and I'm in a room and I'm like, well, if you're going to talk about it for an hour, I guess I don't really want to see it. But with seven psychopaths, that's like, it spends like the old runtime. It's like, this is what the people want. So you got to give the people what the people want. But is it what the people want in 2012? In twenty, yeah, in twenty, maybe not now, but in twenty twelve. In twenty twelve, is it? I don't Look, think you it's always what the people want. Memory than I do, but I'll hit you with that one. It's always what the people want. <laughs> How did this movie open? Because okay, <laughs> always want big shootouts and girls with no, 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 no. Yeah, like I shirts. said, yeah. I mean, I hate to keep bringing up the Sullivan's Travels thing, but it's basically like Colin Farrell learning that you know the people want gunfire, the people want female characters that don't talk. The people want fucking. But uh, do they in 2012 want this sort of like 90s sleaze? They don't, <laughs> is my point. And you know how I know that they don't is because this movie was straight up sold as that and yeah. kind of bombed. Yeah, but it did. And it I didn't. Mean... It didn't bomb because like people showed up and found out that it was like esoteric and the the fucking like word of mouth was bad it bombed because it opened wide at number nine like yeah but martin mcdonough also the marketing of it in that sense because of the movie being what it is looks like a bad version of said movie Mm -hmm. so it even fails in the marketing of being that movie you have to you have to give it that caveat to go along with what you're saying it opens below looper dude (laughs) because looper looper looks like a good genre film and it's not. Looper, and this um, doesn't uh, look like a good genre film from the trailer. It opens below Argo. It opens below Sinister, which, like, if anything, that's the real thing, is that Sinister's an R with no violence or sex in it. You know? Like, mm. Sinister's just a bad vibes R. Taken 2 is a PG-13, right? It opens below Taken 2. It opens below Argo, which is very stately. Like, the sort of movie it's telling, it's saying, like, this is what people want. By 2012, like... No, I think there's I, people still like, want it, but people, no, people are getting want more the PG-13 to... version of this shit. Is what I'm saying. I mean, mm. I, again, I saw this movie like a dozen times on TV, so I think just based on like how much it was playing on like all these like uh, uh just I mean, I think I was as I was watching it, I kept thinking about when the commercial breaks would come in, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> I mean. You know what opened a, like a month before Seven Psychopaths and uh-huh. 
also kind of bombed, but did do like slightly better than Seven Psychopaths, which I think is a pretty good fucking referendum on this. Is it made by a director that we've already talked about? No. At length? No. Okay. It's Premium Rush. Oh, God. Which is the most fucking PG action movie of all time. I thought you were going to throw out a certain Oliver Stone movie that came out and also came out in 2012. (laughs) Oh, Christ. (laughs) Very similar in terms of marketing, that movie and this one. <laughs> a movie that fucking cratered. But yeah. the difference is that Seven Psychopaths is good and Savages is unwatchable. <laughs> one of the worst movies ever. Oh, I've never God. seen Premium Rush. He's just like a bike. Oh, it's dude, it sucks. Right? Oh, Premium it's, Rush rocks. No, it's bad. Oh, Premium Rush it's boring. Rules. Is he just a bike messenger? Is that what that movie is? He's a, He's bike, a bike messenger messenger. and a corrupt cop is trying to like hunt him down. Uh, the cop being played to, like, by Michael Shannon. <laughs> Uh, Michael Shannon okay. doing what, Sean? Mike, Michael Shannon doing a really good job in that movie. <laughs> what, what What is it specifically, Sean? We had this conversation. He's, a, the he, music he's a corrupt recently. cop, right? And what is it? Uh, ga- he's a gambling addict. It is the best Michael Shannon performance he's ever that given. Is, that is not true. <laughs> that is 100% not true. <laughs> Come on, you like you Take would... Shelter, right? <laughs> take a Shelter is a solid number two. Okay, all right, sure. We have um, an opportunity to do the shame. I kind of, I kind of want to see his. Uh... <laughs> you don't, you don't want to do it. Well, we're not going to do it now. I know, um, but you don't. Well, you don't want to do it with me. Is the thing you want to start a new podcast? The Michael Cannon Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, a bad actor. <laughs> Cole's going to pick Amsterdam and Premium I'm going to pick and, fucking. Uh, she's funny that way for his like 30 <laughs> second cameo as a security guard. So oh Cole's my pick, god, Cole's pick. Um. For the Harrelson one, maybe we'll start with him this time because we could just get it out of the way. No, Sean it's, gets uh, it. I'm, it's I'm friends starting. with I'm... benefits for Cole. Okay, off to you, Sean. Oh, no, no, hold on. <laughs> time out. Time out. We had a whole conversation two <laughs> weeks ago about how I don't like friends with benefits and I do like no strings attached. There was like a 20 minute breakdown of those movies for some reason. <laughs> All right. Why besides 2011, like why did we do that? I don't remember, but it was a good talk. Um I think it just I think it I don't know why we did that. <laughs> did, why don't why, we were talking about Kutch, Kutcher and uh man, I have no idea. I don't remember. Yeah. I've Boy, also I, like lost my mind. Was yeah. that on we're, an episode? Yeah, it was, think it was on Friday. Fright, it was on Friday. Yeah. You'll oh hear God. it. All right, Harrelson. This episode is probably going to be longer than Fright Night, which is weird because Fright Night, Sean. What? Get let's the... in a little secret. Sean, what is your Harrelson pick? Uh, the, I have not edited it yet, so it will be shorter. But the raw Fright Night audio, three hours and 15 minutes long. Christ. <laughs> what is the Harrelson pick? Um, Number one, I'm going to go with uh, Natural Born Killers. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. He's oh god that makes this a lot easier for me because he didn't take the, the correct answer. Is that his uh, debut? Like his big no, that's no. that's not his debut. Um uh White Man Can't Jump was two years before that. I'm an idiot. I've never seen that movie. Never seen um, it either. I should. Yeah, I got natural born killer. It, well, it was like the thing with uh with Walken, I was saying with King of New York, the way he's able to just like go from like just a heartthrob to psychotic within like just like maybe two small movements of his face and just like the very, very, it, it seems so effortless at times. You look like you're going to say something cool. Briefly cut in. Connor, he was at fucking Cheers. No, yeah. I mean, a film debut. <laughs> like film debut. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah good Great in Cheers. Um, great I'd in like, cheers. 
once he like loses the hair, I just think that movie kind of becomes this huge beast with him being like the the tariff. Oh man, I just I love that movie so much. And I think yeah, he's so he's scary good. in it. So much fun in it too. Like you want Woody's fun, right? Yeah, like, no, that's his number one gift as an actor. Well, the the other thing is that like he's he's so unashamed of like all of the evil he's been committing. And then when he gets to like, you know, take peyote in the desert, I love how in like again, the the communication of like guilt or regret just comes across so effortlessly. And that's a movie where just like there's way too much happening at every second. So I'm really glad that the the performance at the center of it is just so like locked in. Is that the most schizophrenic stone movie? Yes. Uh, there's yes. Uh, yes. I don't know about that. Yes. It is. The peyote, all the peyote shit in that movie. Come on. Yeah. Even before you get to the peyote shit. I know. Like that's what I'm saying. Stuff, like, man. Yeah. Uh, what was the, I, 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 I'm seeing like sounds right now. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Who, who did we just do? We just did walk it. Yeah. 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 You went first. So I go first. Now. You go first on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Sean. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I don't think we're going to. Woody Harrelson. Long career. Yeah. You know, fucking sturdy career. Yeah. Was on Cheers. Great on Cheers. Has been in a bunch of incredible movies. You know, uh-huh. multiple Oscar nominations. Some of them are deserved. Some of them aren't. Is in a movie that I have said before might be a case where everyone in it is giving their career best performance. Mm-hmm. But Sean, a few weeks ago, you and me were at a friend's house and we watched a certain film. Kill me. Please kill me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, Connor, how boring are you feeling? <laughs> Please don't pick now you see me. I'm not going to pick now you see me. Um, how did you know that was the movie? <laughs> I know oh. you, man. I know you. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna pick next week. Just how boring are you feeling? Like with my pick, or how? Boring I, I already did the like nice dad performance somewhere else. I, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go gonna, with a slam dunk. It, I'm but... gonna go with a slam dunk best performance. I'm gonna go with No Country for Old Men, but not the basketball movie. No I Country for Old Men. He's in two basketball movies, and you use slam dunk to describe this. One. Oh yeah. no, but the what's No the Country for Old Men. I think. Wait, is... what's the other basketball movie? Semi Pro. You know, I've seen neither of those movies. He's not bad in some. He's good in both of those movies. <laughs> I love the Easy. bit where he. Oh, sorry, God. He punched me in the jejunum. <laughs> Easy to forget that he's in No Country for Old Men. I I don't forget that because I, I of think... how stacked that cast but, is. I mean, you're not wrong for putting it on the list. It's yeah. it's one of his it's okay. best performances by far. Yeah, we're I, I... all smart people in this room. We all mm-hmm. understand that No Country for Old Men is a comedy. Sure. And a very funny comedy, right? Is yeah, he yeah. not the is he not the end to that movie, right? That he shows up and he's like wandered like into a more hat on. overtly comedic yeah. version of this story. And that is the Coens like telling you with this like 10 minutes of Woody fucking bringing the house down. Mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying. Movie. I get what you're saying. I don't think you're articulating it in the way you want it to come that across. That movie's fucking hilarious. No, it, that it's movie's hysterical. hilarious. It's very that movie sweet. is a comedy. I've always been team that movie's a comedy. I would. Um, I, I think the line that keys me into that is when he walks out of that first meeting and he says to him, you know, I counted the floors on the way yeah. up here. There's yeah. one missing. 
And his big showdown with fucking sugar right on the phone. Do you think terrifying, that's funny? so dramatic, weirdly funny in its own way? Yeah. Uh, responsible for the greatest piece of dubbing I've ever heard someone do a parody dub of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the tears built us. Um, <laughs> look, Connor, we agree on what the best performance in No Good for Old Men is because we've had this conversation. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. But I think uh, the second best performance in No Country for Old Men back is... Back at intermission. Yeah. I think the second best performance in No Country for Old Men is, like, probably actually Woody. Like, I think that, like, mm. little mini movie in the center is, like... When I think of why I Tommy love No Lee, Country though, for Old so Men, good. I'm thinking of Kelly McDonald and I'm thinking of Woody Harrelson. I'm thinking of Tommy Lee a lot of the time. Tommy's good! Yeah. He's good! It's a great movie! Like... It's no country for old men. I mean, they are like almost everybody in that movie is given career best performance in that film. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm not picking it. I'm picking nice even too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> friends I'm, with benefits. It's on the list. I don't uh, like friends with benefits. <laughs> uh, great pick. Um, Was it my last I mean, one? he's been in so many. Oh, he's, sorry. Go he's ahead. Nope. Given yeah. so many iconic performance, like his performance in white man can't jump is referenced every single year around halloween like i don't think i've experienced a halloween as an adult where somebody didn't do that look uh um, really huh you what you don't you just don't know the same i've never people. seen white man can't jump i don't, I've I don't never know what you're it. talking about well the funny what thing is I that harrelson Connor- harrelson is genuinely good at basketball but wesley snipes is like horrific at basketball so all the like all the really creative cinematography of like guys doing things well is on Harrelson. And then Snipes is the one where they have to use like ingenious editing to make it seem like he's good at basketball. Cause apparently he like couldn't even dribble when he showed up to set on the first day. Um, Larry Flynn. What if I just watched the remake of white man? I haven't seen it, but I imagine it's, Horrifying. Do you know who plays the Woody Harrelson role? It's um Jack Harlow, right? Jack Harlow. Yeah. That sounds fucking miserable. One I think two. I I think when they released the poster for that movie, I screenshot it and texted it to most of my friends and just said, like, this is giving me depression. Like I have to go see I'm gonna go on <laughs> yeah. BetterHelp right now and subscribe to therapy because this poster for this movie dropped. The the, the only reason I would see it is that that director. Calmatic, the music video director, his first two movies both came out this year, and I saw the other one, so I might as well see White Man Can't Jump. Is the other one good, or is the other? No, one... God, oh, okay. The House Party remake. E. Um, so I can't pick Natural Born Killers, and I can't no. pick No Country for no Old Country Men, for Old which Man. No Country for Old Men would have been my pick. Yeah, um, I know it would have, but I, I wanted it. to. I wanted to do it. And no, it's fine. You got it. Uh, gonna test my limits with Cole here, and I'm gonna say this to both. I'm of gonna you. stick with White Man Can't Jump. I think. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna lock it in. Oh yeah. I was really considering going with Triangle of Sadness just to. You, you know, <laughs> Connor. I've never seen this movie, but you know, I am pro locking in the fucking movie star iconography onto the Rushmores, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. in general, I'm always, like, lining up to do that. I mean, he's so, also the romantic lead of the film yeah. right. um, with Rosie Perez. Like, it, and he's and he, he, he visually looks like he's very good at basketball. 
So we gotta figure out a way to like do a Snipes movie so we can do a Snipes Rushmore. It's gonna love Snipes, man. Yeah, it's, I just saw yeah. New Jack City for the first time. Yeah, I wasn't he's, able to make it. It's fucking incredible, right? He's really good in it. Yeah, no, yeah. he's he's an aw- he's awesome. I mean, I watched the Blade movies recently when we were yeah. doing Friday right. just to rewatch them. Bring it home. Bring it home. Uh, all right. Um, I got three picks right in front of me. Okay. I got one that's really solid. Sure. And I got two. Who are your enemies? Sure. Let 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 it be known that I'm looking at his filmography right now, and there are two instant vetoes on here. There are two instant vetoes, and there's no case you can make for them. Okay. Ah, <sighs> oh, damn it! Um, follow your heart. Follow, follow your heart. heart. Man, part of me, part of me, because you. How often do you do the Grand Canyons? Because part of me wants to put one on the oh, Grand Canyon. I meant to do a Grand Canyon. This week, actually, I forgot that we. I wanted to do a Grand Canyon this week, so thank you for reminding me. Um, basically, I, don't I mean, think like, Woody has a Grand Canyon. I've been picking a lot of good movies. <laughs> I've been picking a lot of good movies, and I kind of want to change that up just because, like, I will admit, I think Brown's he's really good in Triangle of Sadness. I think that movie's terrible. I think that movie is very bad. But I almost wish all of Triangle Sadness was just about him and the uh, the old communist he talks to. And plus, I just like I hate that movie so much. I kind of want to put it on Woody Harrelson's Rushmore just so he can like really, really earn it because he seems very passionate about that movie. I mean, is it going to happen? What's your pick, Sean? I'm going to go with Triangle Sadness. Connor, do you hear that? You're not, are you that's, are you not the using? sound of glass breaking in case of an emergency? Oh man, he's pulling it. Out. Uh, <laughs> I did it. Take it out the hammer, knocking it out of there. Fuck off. I did Hard it. Veto. I did Easy it. Easy veto. Yeah. Sean, why do you not like that movie? Um, because it's boring and not funny. Man, I just it, it was my favorite because movie of last stupid. year. I just don't that's agree fucking... with either of you. Oh my god, yeah. Connor. What? Why do you like that movie? It's the like the funniest movie I've ever seen. No, it doesn't have a single joke in it. It's got a couple. I disagree. And I don't know what to tell by you. Woody Harrelson. Uh, here's why I'm vetoing it. Okay, Woody's not good. That movie just sucks so much. Yeah, that, like the even slightest injection of energy from a good actor being on screen, like uh-huh. tricks you into thinking he's running away with the movie. But it's not actually a good performance, and it's disrespectful to his legacy to to put it on there. I'm I, not I, vetoing it because I don't like the movie. I'm vetoing it because I think the like myth of like Woody Harrelson stealing uh-huh. Triangle of Sadness is just that. It's a myth. Okay, and I'm kicking it the fuck out of here. Fair. I don't really even think he steals the movie. As do I get a, who likes do I get the a second pick? No, yeah, or... yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a re- yeah, get yeah, a yeah. You get oh, to replace okay. it. Okay, all right, cool. Uh, yeah. Zombie Land. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other movie star role. Yeah. No, incredibly funny. Another you thing. Want to break some glass like... there, Connor? <laughs> no, it's it's not that I don't like Zombie Land or his performance in it. It's just like I probably would have gone with the Edge of Seventeen and. That was the other that. one I was thinking yeah. of. But you yeah. already did it. You already did it with the Harry Dean Stanton pick. I know. Yeah. Exactly. That's I, why I didn't want to do it again. Yeah. It's no, the like, same like deal. I, or... Like I said, you're a I little too young here... for Zombieland, though. Like to really be in the pocket for Zombieland, Sean. I'm a bit young. Yeah. 
Oh, well, I mean, I watched that at an extremely young age. When I, I know, but I, that movie came out when I was 17. Yeah. 16. <laughs> I wasn't even 17 yet. And uh, I wouldn't turn 17 for another couple of weeks. I was 16. Like, I'm fucking right in the pocket for Zombieland, baby. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the whole, like, first hour of that movie is, like, how seriously can I take this character? And then when you find out that, I mean, back to Seven Psychopaths, he just lost his dog. <laughs> yeah. And just the 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 sadness that replaces all of that just like question mark irony is like very affecting. Um, look, I came in here wanting to get a veto. I got the veto. You so did it. You cheated, but you <laughs> did it. I cheated. Okay, sure. Yeah, you knew what you were doing. Hey, look, I just think that movie is like bad enough that I yeah, I want him to own it. it on the Rushmore. I don't buy it as fucking him elevating that movie at all. It doesn't elevate the movie. I don't like think the movie is good. I just see I as just someone know. who likes that movie, I I also agree though. Is like I don't think Woody Harrelson brings anything special to that part that another I, character actor wouldn't have been able to bring to that part. I just is remember being good in that movie. Who? I'm trying to think of anyone. Harris good in is that. good in that movie. No, he's not. You don't think no, so? No, no. He's he's been so much better in other movies. Dude, I'm I kind of seen excited it for, for the in Iron a while, Claw. but I think the guy, the the like rich guy who's alone on the yacht. Oh yeah, the, the yes. he's good. And I actually yeah. think Sean Zakoberek, yeah. who plays Dimitri, the like yeah drunk capitalist who does the other hand of the scenes with yeah Harrison. that guy's good. I actually yeah. think that's a really funny performance, and like that oh. kind of shows up. Yeah, no, I'm not making the argument that he elevates the movie. I'm just saying for like thirty to forty minutes, that whole first part, I was just pissed off. Yeah, and you get to the boat, and I'm still pissed off and bored. But you just like Woody is all yeah. it is. That's why I'm vetoing it because yeah. it's like it's cheating. I guess um, so. Sure. I had such a different experience. Yeah. This Connor, did you sucks. did you ever see See How They Run? No, so I haven't seen Harris it. is really good in that. Um, he's also really fucking good in Souvenir too. Uh, I gotta see both those as well. Mm, Souvenir one, not very good. Souvenir two, incredible. Yeah, Souvenir I don't like th- the first one. So. Souvenir three, really interesting. Is there a third one? Yeah. Well, it's it's a different name. It's the right. Eternal Daughter. The Eternal. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh. Eternal Daughter is Souvenir Three. That's like kind of a twist. Oh, I never, I never, I've seen the Eternal Daughter, but I. Didn't the Eternal Daughter is secretly Souvenir Three. I haven't watched either of the sequels because I didn't like the first. Oh no, Connor! At all, so. Connor, not only yeah. is Souvenir Two incredible, but as someone who didn't like the Souvenir, like I don't know why you didn't like the Souvenir, but. Souvenir 2 is mostly about why the souvenir is bad for every reason that I didn't like the souvenir. Just to make it quick, like, I need to understand why a relationship is important to the people in the relationship in a film. Watch Souvenir okay. 2. Oh, my God. That is <laughs> I mean, you could say that's a problem. You could say that's a problem with uh, McDonough's female characters leading up to yeah. Banter's and Asherin. It's like, even in In Bruges, you don't understand why the relationship yes. is equal on both parts. Like, yes. why it's important to both of those. Yes. Oh, my God. That's what yeah. Souvenir 2 is about. Because, you know, Souvenir 2 is about her trying to make a thesis film. That is functionally the souvenir. I like, I know what it's about. I just I yeah. I was put off from te- the first one. I didn't I'm just telling you as someone who, awesome. As yeah. someone who did not like the first one at all, like 
Souvenir 2 is incredible. Do you, would you recommend watching Souvenir 1 just to you get to Souvenir 2? You absolutely have to watch the Souvenir. Okay. The problem because like you you don't actually have to have seen the Souvenirs to have watched um, The Eternal Daughter. Oh, no, that's fine. I'm um, talking about just yeah. like Souvenir but, 1 and 2. And then rewatch The Eternal Daughter because it'll play better. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, sure. I, yeah, that movie was great. It's funny yeah, that neither of us, cool. none of us picked the Thin Red Line when he blows his I, ass off with the hand grenade. I mean, that's like... <laughs> and he's just screaming that he blew his ass off. I think that's funny. I just, it's not, I have nothing yeah. special to say No, about I'm not it, like, like shocked that none of us did it, but I'm almost like, just for the stunt. I of, like that movie quite a bit. talking about that. Part Again, of the, 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 the Cole's enemies I'm referring to are uh, Michael Haneke for Funny Games uh yeah. last day is gus van zandt uh, never Pitt, seen it Pitt's best performance never seen it and then uh ruben ostland and then two terrence malick films fucking hate ruben i do fucking see <laughs> ruben ostland it's is a almost unfair to malick and van zandt to like put them <laughs> in the same category as Ruben Uslan's just because of how much like the fucking depths yeah. of my hatred for Ruben Uslan. Because, like, okay, I think it's annoying that Michael Hanukkah has two palm doors. I, Frankly, I'm, both I'm those palm doors are a little fraudulent. I've never even seen the white ribbon, but that was the bright star thirst year. You've never okay? seen the, the, the white ribbon? No, oh, Thirst but, and Bright Star were both in the competition that year. You wouldn't yeah. like it, but it, it's a good movie. Bright Star? Is it better no, no, than no, no. Bright Star? Bright Star's, Bright Star's a good movie. But is it the, better the than White Thirst? Ribbon, the White Ribbon is also a good movie. Man, yeah. Thirst is really good. Okay, so here's my point. Like, yeah. I don't love that he has two palm doors, but I'm aware, mm-hmm. logically, it's kind of Antichrist was that year. Enter the Void was that year. Fish Tank was that year. Better uh, than A Prophet was that year. Yeah, yeah. Better than all a four Prophet? Those. That's a great movie. It's better than all four of those. Oh, right. I, f- I forget that you hate Jacques Odiard, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I once said what? to Connor... Have you seen Dupont? I once said to Connor that like Jacques Odiard might be my favorite director working today. And Connor was like, is this a prank? <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Toe's Vengeance was up for the Palm Door that year. Never seen um, it. This is anyway. why this works because I like good movies and Cole likes bad movies. So this is Johnny why the podcast Toad's works. Vengeance? <laughs> um, no, I'm just talking with you. Okay, here's my point. I am aware that Michael Hanukkah is like an acclaimed, beloved modern filmmaker. And if you look at what actually happened, which is everyone thought the White Ribbon was probably going to be his last movie and they didn't realize that his biggest movie was right around the corner, mm-hmm. him having two palm doors kind of makes sense. Ruben Usland having two palm doors for his third and fourth movie is a fucking war cry. Yeah, no, it's like he he killed Siri for move and replaced him with a hologram. Conversation. In the Hanukkah conversation, I don't understand the Amor one. I I don't especially like. But that movie was such a a sensation. It's a bad movie. I know, but no, it's a it's a great movie. It's a stinker. But and like, it's a similar thing, except reverse with the Oslin one, where it's like, I love Triangle of Sadness. I don't really like any of his other films other than Triangle oh, of Sadness. Force Majeure is fine. Force Majeure is cool. I, I, the square fucking minefields, uh, triangles. Those Sean, two movies are just so smug. That Here's like, the thing about oh, Amor, though. Here's the oh. thing about Amor, uh-huh. is that that was the fucking Holy Motors con. 
I mean, I like him more and more. Fuck off. Oh, wow. Holy Motors is great, wow. but Cosmopolis was that con. Oh, uh, yeah, fucking, fucking, fucking Moonrise Kingdom was that con. Fucking Post Nebris Lux was that con. I got best director. I'm fine with that. Did you told me best director? Post Tenebrous Lux, yeah. Oh, cool. You you told me recently that uh, what yeah. our time isn't a real movie, <laughs> or <laughs> oh yeah, that's because it's not a real movie. His last movie was Post Tenebrous Lux. No just, one's seen our time. It's I've, I've seen our time. It's never played any festival. Um, I just keep forgetting that he made another movie. Um, do you like Carlos Regatas, Connor? I feel like you do. He feels like a you guy. Yeah, I. You just like the boring art house directors, is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm uh, no, that's, that's not always. Like well, you more so too. Yeah, <laughs> Connor, Connor, I feel like comes out for the ones like our friend Langston. I feel like is more extreme on this one, but Connor, I feel like you will also sometimes come out for like the like generally acclaimed art house directors that no one else I know like particularly cares <laughs> about in either direction. I feel like sometimes they'll be like, "Yeah, I like that guy," and I'm like, "You do." Langston's Langston is much more on that. Oh yeah, Langston's the insane. But Connor, yeah. if you like said like, you know, I really like fucking Fatiakin, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, you would, you would like Fatiakin. Like you love Francois Ozon, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. no disrespect to Ozon, but like, you sometimes go for like the guys who don't have huge stateside reps. Now Langston only likes those movies, and then it's like Santo Mare is bad, and I'm like, good for you, Langston. <laughs> Uh, Cole, um, get ready for me to be annoying the next two weeks with yeah, Seth and everything. <laughs> I'm gonna try to go see in water. Uh, can I just I'll, list? I'll, you know what? I'm actually gonna table the Ruben Oslin discussion because I'm gonna fucking scream about it for two straight episodes <laughs> in a few weeks uh, because of a certain Palm Door win at a certain festival that will be very central to this podcast. All right. Um, Do we have anything more to say? Yeah, Crimes of the Future played the About. 2022 Con Film Festival, is yeah. what I have to say. Fucking yeah, no, Crimes has... of the Future and Tar lost to fucking... No, Tar didn't. Um, Tar was at Venice. Tar was at Venice, you're right. Crimes of the Future lost to no, that movie... Triangle of Sadness. Armageddon Time lost to Triangle of Sadness. Decision to God. lost to Triangle Cole, of I remember, Sadness. I remember you texting me, like, I think James Gray's gonna get a palm, and then, like, ten minutes okay. later, you were yeah. like... Hold on. <laughs> I need you guys to understand that, like, because of how the Con Film Festival works, because all the screenings have ended the day before the award ceremony, like, they tell people to go home if they aren't going to win. So you generally, even if you don't know who's going to win which awards, you have a pretty good sense of, like, if someone's what's winning win in general, yeah. because... um Usually the people who aren't going to win anything will have left and the journalists know who's like on the red carpet for the award ceremony. Mm -hmm. James Gray did not go home last year. So that's why I was like, fuck, I think James Gray's winning a Palm Door because James Gray stayed for the award ceremony. I'm, you're making me depressed now. I know. Yeah. Sean, I haven't mm -hmm. seen this movie yet, but you know what else Triangle is sad to beat for the Palm Door? What? Pacifiction. I mean, the best your movie, beloved pacifist fiction, the best movie of last year, maybe of this year if you R. count its U.S. release. Yeah, um, uh, no, that is depressing. Yeah, who died? Who died? You said you said R.I.P. I didn't say R.I.P. I thought I thought I heard Connor say R.I.P. No. Um, I was like, did Albert Sarah die? 
Oh no, um, he just he just released a new short film actually that I was watching okay. earlier today. I will say I did I hear it. a pretty extensive rumor that the jury wanted to give a tutorial Lukita and Terry said the Dardans are not winning a third palm ever. <laughs> um I, I I'm not joking. Like I heard that's, I heard that from awesome. multiple sources. Um, um and Toria Lukita's better than the critics thought it was. I have to watch uh, it. Did you say pacifiction? Pacifiction, yeah. yeah. By Albert Sarah, yeah. I, I think you guys were talking at the same time and it sounded like you said benediction. Oh, that's why yeah. you said oh. R.I.P. I'm so confused. I was like, what the no. fuck's going on here? Why do I feel like I'm getting gaslit? <laughs> no, no, Pacifica. Was Benediction in 2021? Movie. I don't know if it was. No, it wasn't. That. It wasn't in comp, at least. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about fucking... <laughs> can, um, I, can I yeah, bring please. up two things? Please. Um, one, I'm just going to read a sentence, and I want you to... Connor, I want you to give your input. Okay. Um, Michael Carmen Pitt was born on April 10th, 1981 in West no, Orange, New no, Jersey. No, 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 damn it. No, no. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. He actually um, went to high school, like really. Remind me when we're school. done recording to tell you guys the piece of gossip I know about Michael Pitt. Oh yeah. I think I know it as well, but I just love yeah. to hear it again. All right. And one more thing. This is all I got. The, well, well I'm think- just saying it's it, it. You have objectively, it's crazy that you begin your career being like, yo, a billion percent in a Bertolucci film and the leading man in a, yeah, a, man in a Haneke film. And then you're you're uh, it's not just like a throw in. It's not even in this movie. It's not even a cameo. Like, it's just a bit part that he got cast. In it's so weird yeah. that it's Stuhlbarg and Pitt. Yeah. That feels like a weird, that feels like it's the two people who said yes first. Yeah. yeah. Rather than like a duo that is interesting as a duo or that feels like the type of people who would be in a Tarantino-esque prologue, you know? Like mm-hmm. if, the, if, the, if the literal analogy here is Tim Roth and Rosanna Arquette in Pulp Fiction, like- that makes sense as like a duo in a way that Stuhlbarg and Pitt is just like weird. Mm. So no, no wall of fame. No, no. I, we haven't put someone on the wall of fame in a. Ed Harris was the last one. Yeah, in a while. Ed yeah, Harris, I, I also I just, think she's like the baseline. I don't think if if I went into a pizza shop and I saw a picture of Michael Pitt on the wall, I, I would, would just be, kind like, of be like, oh, this is weird. a sex past pizza Pitt shop. Yeah. Oh, God. I have not heard a rumor <laughs> that he's a sex pest to be clear. Um, to be and clear. I don't know anything about him. Like I really liked him on uh, boardwalk empire. Mm. I don't know anything about him personally. Yeah. I, I just, it's always been very confusing to me that his career has taken the turn that it took. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the other thing, I think one of the best bits on this show is um, a who would you were who would you recast uh, with Matt Damon? So I just want to we've been retiring that for a while. Yeah. We've um, yeah. so just because you know huge cast of characters, you know, is there a Matt Damon recast in your minds? So it's 2012, right? So yeah. he is in kind of the woods. So it's actually not like completely out of the question that. Damon does this. I feel like the logical one, if Damon were to be in this movie, he he plays either Pitt or Stuhlbarg, right? Mm-hmm. I think if but... Damon shows up and he's covered in fake tattoos and he's the dog walker <laughs> and he's got like a long wig on yeah. and he's like, yeah. I cared about that dog like it was my own baby. Okay. <laughs> I think that's that's what I want to see. That being said. <laughs> Easy, undeniable half star plus up. 
if it's Damon instead of Rockwell. He give because this is this is so, when I think he's Rockwell, doing above the behind the candelabra. Like I right, you got to orient it to that. Yeah, I I think part of the issue with Rockwell is he's being typecast exactly, here, and mm-hmm. you don't buy. You're supposed to buy Billy as being like the close confidant of marty and then it's a surprise that billy is like this fucking serial killer who's just whacking people to like give marty material to write a screenplay about and if you have damon then it makes it there's there's actually like an emotional turn there that you don't have because it's rockwell being typecast to do rockwell shit in this Mm -hmm. part yeah we should bring that bit back though sean thank you for reminding us we haven't done it in a while no the the, um, the two big we don't have things, a lot of opportunities to do it the, the the two or three big things i wanted to to accomplish was one veto yeah two new jersey wall of fame which i no. failed at and three matt damon so i'm happy <laughs> do we have anything else to say about this movie i feel like it's been a very scattershot episode um, I mean, it's like... I do think we talked a decent amount about yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, the, I movie, just think, the movie by its own admission is very vapid. Yeah, I just think it's a little vapid in a way that it doesn't really... I think it thinks it's a little deeper than it is. And while I, like, enjoy watching it, I think it's funny. Like, I see the more interesting, more legitimately metatextually weird movie that it could have been. Oh, sure. And I want that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like before a couple nights ago. I did have it out of five, and then yeah. while, while I was watching it, I was like, "Okay, that's a bit re- that's a bit ridiculous." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I dropped it, but at the same time, I just I think it's a lot of fun. I think I I'm sure it's a bit dim, but you know, it's like what else? I like it more than Banshees still. No, 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 no. He Banshees is a real movie for grown-ups, is what I'll say to that. Sure, yeah. I'm I'll say that he made the serious, you know, life-affirming, you know, big movie about humanity, and he fell into his own trap. So I'll say that. (laughs) I'd invite you on, but we have a guest for that one. Um (laughs) I'm good. No, I'd rather talk about seven psychopaths. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good movie. I think it's yeah. a good movie. Good movie. Oh uh, yeah, I think uh, oh, it's just go, not great. Good, but it's a good movie. movie just yeah. a little mm-hmm. undercooked in my performance. And really, I just think I'm like, oh my god, Colin is back. Like I'm so electrified by oh. being like, this is the actor. I, I think I the issue with, with McDonough wanted to do a podcast about. I think the I, issue with McDonough in general is that he needed some more schooling in yeah. filmmaking. Yes, like, sure. he's got the chops to do highly creative things with the literature but he just he needs some more schooling with the actually directing actors getting the performances he needs to get out of this can i ask one more thing yeah yeah um so this was something i forgot to bring up because you've mentioned before that like everyone thinks that like in bruges is like the big comeback movie it's the acclaimed one and then there's just like there's just like you know all these movies that i've never seen that look mostly bad yes up until Up until you get to like this and the lobster. So there's 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 still three more years of movies you've never heard of that probably aren't very good, Sean. After seven psychopaths? I, yes. Oh, okay. Um, um here. I'll tell you how how many movies do you think he makes between this and the lobster? I thought Just the guess. lobster came right after this, honestly. We got five. Two, we got three, five four, movies five, to yeah. go. Five, yeah, God. and it's three years later, four years later, if you count when it actually comes I, out. I can feel confident saying right now that the lobster is 
the comeback. The lobster like, is no, the comeback. That's the absolute. That's absolutely the comeback. I this just, is good. We should talk about this real. Quick I, w- I was. Fit, I was thinking for a while that maybe just because in Seven Psychopaths he's playing such a normal person, you know, like screenwriter with a drinking problem. Yeah, you know, that's about as basic as it gets. So would that allow him to get the sort of like indie roles in the Lanthimos movies in the future? Oh, well, yes, of course. Everything is kind of cyclical like that. Yeah. But as opposed to suicidal hitman. We didn't talk about his where his career is when you hit this. And I mean, Cole and I I talked about it a little earlier where it's like he's actually coming off big movies that kind of just underperform. I I talk about it I either in the Fright Night or the Total Recall episode, but I do remember talking in those episodes as being like this is the time period when I really am like yeah. attuned to who Colin Farrell is as a pop culture icon or just figure. Mm-hmm. And I do remember seeing this movie and clearly this movie has like artistic aspirations that go beyond typical genre Hollywood filmmaking and this is before the recovery of Miami Vice and Mm -hmm. I don't think I had seen the new world yet so I really only know Colin Farrell as like SWAT and Bullseye and Daredevil and then he's in Total Recall and he's like the hot vampire in um, Friday Night which I didn't see at the time so I do remember being kind of like pleasantly surprised that this was the role that he was playing in this film where he's not really being cast as the good looking heartthrob or anything like that. But it was in a sense that it was kind of similar to seeing like post first Avenger Sebastian Stan show up and stuff. Yeah. And me kind of being like, oh, do people like respect this guy as an actor? Like, I didn't know if that was the case and um seven psychopaths for me is that kind of like realization with Colin Farrell personally, like in, in my filmmaking I, or film I watching. Think, I think that when people say that in Bruce is the comeback, what they're actually saying, even if they don't know it is that it's the moment where people start taking Colin Farrell seriously as an actor. It is not actually, even though it is literally like, a big recognized role after like a major career downturn. It is not a comeback in that it leads to better work for him. It doesn't. Whereas the lobster after he does the lobster, the one, two punch of the lobster and true detective, right? Like those two at the exact same time is what it really is. What, what differentiates that is that if Colin Farrell does fantastic beasts, before the lobster, no one really bats an eye. And Colin Farrell doing Fantastic Beasts after the lobster brings with it this aura of like, interesting. Yeah. Colin yeah. Farrell's in a Harry Potter movie. Interesting. Colin Farrell's in a Sofia Coppola movie. Yeah. Interesting. Colin's in this Denzel movie that looks weird. Interesting. Colin's in Dumbo, right? It's not even that he's like necessarily even getting better roles, though he is. It's that he's got like there is attention being paid. He has to like him. he has that like there, prestige. Yeah, yeah, that there isn't at the time of Seven Psychopaths beyond I think this lingering sense that we both addressed of like, isn't this guy better than what he's been doing lately? It is. 
it is interesting to think of like we have to change the way that we orient in Bruges from being a comeback to actually being like what is the culmination of his career where he yeah. this is when he cashes the check of like who Colin Farrell is supposed to yes. be is it doesn't come before in Bruges he's been famous for almost a decade by this point but mm-hmm. in Bruges is the one when the check finally cashes because up until that point it's like he's gotten a claim for Tigerland which nobody saw he's got he was in Minority Report but not a big part of that movie he got a claim for phone booth but we're still talking more like in the exploitation area of cinema that people might rent from blockbuster not anything that's being taken seriously at large the daredevil failure swat failure alexander huge 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 immaculate failure the new world box office failure miami vice whole whirlwind around that uh, it's not until you get to in Bruges that the check finally cashes. Yeah. So we think of it as we falsely at the beginning was like, that's when the comeback is going to happen. But that's not, that's really the starting off point is in Bruges. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to say, considering the guy was fucking Sonny Crockett only like two yeah. years before. The, in Bruges the, the greatest, the yeah. that movie. No, it's the way and yeah. was a critical flop. And yeah, him being the- in the lobster and everything post the lobster has allowed us to go back and look at those earlier films. Yeah. Like, what the hell happened here? Like, why wasn't yeah. anybody taking this seriously? I'm it, so fucking it, excited to get to the happened. lobster. And I don't even like Yorgos Lanthimos that much. I just want <laughs> to get to the I'm excited as well. <laughs> I am sorry to say this. I know it is boring. I am, I am so generally the person who's like, it's interesting to like do these comprehensive stuff because of the less heralded things. And I'm even honestly more excited about the less heralded post lobster stuff, but I'm just like, man, I need him to start being in fucking good movies. again. <laughs> All right. Any, anything else we got to say? Can so- I ask one more thing? And yes. I just yeah, remember yeah. this. Um, do you think Colin can play any other of the psychopaths? Oh, yeah. there's a world where he's the Rockwell one and it's yeah. a fucking ham sandwich performance and it's better. Oh, it's better. Right? Okay. I think so. Yeah. All right. The intermission he, performance is like kind of what the Rockwell performance show okay. yeah. like. Yeah. Do you think have you do... seen intermission, Sean? I think you'd like intermission. I I like that episode a lot. I, I believe it. it's on YouTube. I think you can watch yeah. intermissions on YouTube. It's that's a really the, fun I, that's one. The John, uh, who directed John, that one? John Crowley. Crowley. Yeah, I gotta see that. It's Colin and it's Killian and it's fucking Shirley Henderson. That sounds. Yeah. That sound I, awesome. Am I wrong, Cole, for for just stating it that that's the best Hammy Colin leading up? Or probably that we've had so far. I don't even think that one's hammy. I think that's it's a, that's big. a double. When I movie, think right? of hammy, yeah. when I think of hammy, I'm thinking more of like Daredevil or fucking. I do love Ask the Dust, my guy. I do love that Ask the Dust performance. You don't, <laughs> but I do. I'm Arturo Bandini. I'm Arturo Bandini. <laughs> Hobo writer, chronicler of the fucking streets. I'm Oturo Bandini. I can't whack off. He says, friend of man and beast alike. Friend of man and beast alike. I can't Jesus whack off. Christ. All right. I have a heart awesome. out. If Cole wants to tell us a story, we have to. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Connor, plug the Instagram. It's at above the butt title pod. I'm sorry. It's at uh, above the title pod. 
I'm not editing a word of this episode out, by the way. Um, Sean, do you have anything to plug with the understanding that this episode probably will not drop until uh, the next presidential election? Um, The way the fucking SAG-AFTRA negotiations broke down this morning. No, like, I I hope that shit ends soon so I can listen to more above the title. But um, yeah, I got some uh, I got some film projects coming out soon. I just uh, I shot some videos that I'm going to try and upload oh, soon and then I might be making a documentary soon. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, um, no, that's all I got. Thank you guys so much for having me. I've oh, my God. For- this was a blast. We got to get I've been you looking back forward on. to this for the longest time. So I know I've awesome. been looking forward to this. I think this was a really fun one. We got to get you back on before the one we have you booked on. Um, blah, 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 blah. What was I going to say? Review, subscribe. We'll be back next week talking about Dead Man Down, a movie I have allegedly seen. <laughs> um, I'm going to go on a tangent that's going to piss Connor off on that episode. Um, oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> but until then, fuck Ruben Osland and also Ken Loach. It's all been a pack of lies.